you're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, coming to you on Thursday, December 21st. That's right, we weren't supposed to be doing any more shows this year, but the USL and MLS decided to throw that plan right out the window. Ready to share his hot takes and wearing the RIFC Energy Kit is my co-host and your co-host, Jason Carey. Jason, how is it going? Doing pretty good. How was your break, buddy? <laughs> I'll let you know when I get to it. Yeah, I think this is predictable. We had the schedule in our hands on Thursday last week, and then there were some like emergency changes that were going to have to happen to it, so we couldn't talk about the recordings. We, we couldn't do anything to share, and then you know we found out the schedules were dropping on Monday, and it was like ugh. as soon as we as soon as we knew that, it was like, well, this is a lie. We're definitely going to have to record one more one more episode for the uh, for the year. But then on top of that, MLS decided, you know what? Let's make sure they have like forty five more minutes of, of stuff to talk about. So. This I have a feeling that this episode is probably going to be the longest one we ever record in the history of Raising Anger. Yeah, um, this is episode twenty-two, dropping on the twenty-second, and is, I is think that a sign? It, think it's going to be two hours, twenty-two minutes, and twenty-two seconds. <laughs> All right, everyone, buckle in and make sure you're in a, a sequestered place for the next uh, couple of hours because this is going to be a long one. We may just have to start adding random words and expand the uh, like kind of like what I'm doing right now, just to make sure that we get those minutes racked. <laughs> Somewhere there's a timer, I think, right? Uh, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. There we go. There you go. Keeping track. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, I wanted to make sure that we just kind of get into some of the quick highlight points. So first and foremost, wrong again, Juan Agadello signs with San Antonio FC. Super frustrating because I had heard from reliable sources that he was in contract negotiations with multiple clubs, including his uh, prior club, Birmingham Legion. And I just, I thought that the stars aligned and it made sense that it would be a Rhode Island FC pickup, but it's not the case. He's going to San Antonio. I wish him all the best, but I do think that that's a missed opportunity from our club to pick up what would have been, I don't want to say a marquee signing, but it would have been someone that, again, could help connect fans to our club and uh, I just I really wish that you know that had been an opportunity. Maybe maybe next year. I I don't know how much Juan has you know left in the tank. I don't know if he has a multi year contract with SAFC from this. But you know a lot of players they do get a free agency, and Juan's on the wrong side of thirty. So maybe maybe that's still something for next year that we could see him get picked up with. Yeah, maybe he could be one of those uh, coming home twilight of your career kind of thing. Like uh like when you retire with your your home club, you go back to like your boy club and, and I'm going to retire with Boca Juniors. So yeah, so congratulations to Juan. Uh, sorry for listeners, we got yet another one wrong. But hey, life moves on. And then uh, just a special shout out to the front office that is listening. Huge props and thanks to the marketing team and all of the great support that they give us. Uh, we were hooked up with two of the uh, energy kits. So we're we're looking good in our in our energy kits. They showed up on time. And they showed up in the right sizes, so this is a huge win. I have heard from listeners that are getting their kits that they've been ordering off of um, the website. They're having the same thing where it's coming through Springfield, and then it's going through Connecticut, and they're just watching the tracker 
waiting to see if it clears Connecticut without, you know, any disruption to the service. I haven't heard of anyone yet having the same problem we have. So maybe the U.S. Postal Office, they had a conversation like that has to stop. The the inner New England soccer wars have to cease at this point. But I'm super excited. These jerseys look dope. And I just said dope as a grown man. And <laughs> uh, and I can't wait. We did order the, the road kits. So those are coming uh, in January. A lot of people were a little confused thinking that they uh, would not see their their energy kits before the holiday season but they are they are showing if you ordered them at the right time during the season ticket or the 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 kit reveal party i should say or before the end of that 1214 uh sale that they had on you should be getting your jerseys before the holiday season to give as gifts so thanks again to the marketing team you're looking good in it how do you like now that you you can touch it now that you can wear it it, is it say is it the same opinion or have you changed any of your thoughts on this kit? Kind of like what did I say about it? <laughs> I look, I I love it and chat like you said. Shout out to them. We really appreciate it. These are awesome. But yeah, I I uh, I love the kit. I I still think maybe I I might love the away kit more, but you know, time will tell. Only time will tell. <laughs> so uh, moving into some other news. So you know the schedules have been announced and we're definitely going to unpack that for fans provide a lot of our takes and maybe some insight that we have that I, I haven't seen or heard the the people in the discord or in the reddits uh, kind of talk about so maybe some interesting perspective on our side uh, as takeaways maybe not but um, but in that spirit with the schedule being announced myself the sub the discord the front office have started to receive a lot of inquiries about single game tickets uh, multi-game packages and uh, so we just want to take some time real fast. We reached out to the club, got some additional information. Uh, some of it's been directly, if, if, if fans have asked, they've been informed. But we just want to kind of go out there and make sure that people know. So single game tickets will be available in early February. Uh, they don't have an exact date just yet, but um, that is coming. So a lot of people are like, hey, you know, I can't make it to every game. Looking for multi-game or those, those single game tickets. So that is coming. And of course, there will be some dates that are highly anticipated and those will probably sell out faster than any inventory on maybe less exciting games. But, you know, if you if there's a game you want to show up to, season tickets are still the best way to go about that. But then speaking with season tickets, we did get some interesting updates there. So one, the season ticket member gift, which was the scarves, we already have ours, and a lot of the, the core group of season ticket members have picked theirs up as well. But as, as a reminder, those are not going to get shipped to fans. So if you haven't picked it up yet, it's a great chance to go in, meet some of the people at the front office. But it's really important to understand that, that that's not going to come out when the, the tickets for season ticket members get released. So I don't know. I assume that maybe they'll have some sort of way to pick it up at the first home game, which we'll talk about. But th- there's there's no like you, you had an early chance to get it and OK, you didn't pick it up. So it's going to get shipped. That's not happening. So just something to keep in mind. But the really interesting thing that I didn't understand and I didn't know until we we asked is the tickets themselves. So we kind of thought that maybe, especially in the past when we've been season ticket members for other sporting events or franchises that you usually you get like a, I don't want to say a box. It doesn't have to be a box, but usually you get something like tangible or something physical as a, as a way to commemorate your, your purchase, you know, your fandom, all that jazz. That's not happening with Rhode Island FC. And the, all of the tickets that they have will be digital. They'll show up in your account that you set up with uh, SeatGeek. And that will all download on February 2nd. So that was news to us. I kind of thought I'd get like paper copies of the tickets at some point. 
I, I thought maybe like I'd get like paper copies of the parking pass to hang over like the mirror or something like that. It's totally okay that they're not, but we didn't really ask the question until that point. So it kind of caught me surprised. Does that, does that shock you? Is that, is that on brand for like, you know, saving the planet for the ease and the simplicity and the cost effectiveness of, of putting tickets out? Is, is that anything that like calls out to you on that? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think even think about this. Um, it's interesting you say that it's going to be all digital. I'm not against it. Personally, I've been trying to like declutter some of my life in some ways. And I like you find old tickets for events, shows, movies and things. And at a certain point, you just do the like, was it Marie Kondo thing? You just look at it and you're like, I thank you for your memories. And then you just throw it away. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you do something cool, like make a collage with it or something or have some sort of shrine or display. It's they end up in that drawer that everyone has that just has like, you know, a one CR twenty twenty four battery, you know, like cords to things that you don't even own anymore, but you're not sure you might need them. Papers for just just like a junk drawer. Have you looked in my top left drawer over here? Is that what's going on? Everybody has them. You forgot like the chapstick that has no chap petroleum <laughs> jelly left in it. No, look, I don't disagree with it. I I think also you should probably take up scrapbooking because if you're just throwing your tickets away, that's a perfect opportunity to cement all of the wonderful memories you have. But having said that, again, it's it's not an issue. I just, again, did not think how the tickets would be. And I'm assuming also that with a digital uh, infrastructure that it's going to make it easier for, for ticket transfers and 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 just managing your ticket inventory. So having said that, that's a perfect segue into the other thing that we've been asking about. So we know that there is an RIFC app on the way. Um, most of the clubs, I think actually all clubs are required to have it per the USL league requirements. So if you want to see what other clubs have done in the past, you can download literally any other club's app and kind of get an idea of what we may experience or what Rhode Island FC will do differently as they deploy and develop their app. Right now, we kind of don't know a lot about what will go into the app. We don't know exactly when it will come out. We, we assume it will have to come out before the first game if, if they're managing tickets digitally. The club has told us that it will at least have your abilities to check the schedule, to access the shop because they got to make the money, and then you know complete ticket purchasing. So like again, those are the things that, that move the club forward and, and pay the bills. So you can expect those kinds of things. But in some high-level conversations, which I can't really share because that was said in, in confidence, you know, they, they're trying to do something really special with the app. It may be something that's a year or two plan. It may not work at all. They're, they're thinking about it in a way that, again, excites me. And it it tells me that they're, they're just taking the necessary moves to make sure that everything they do is, is built and stood up for the fans. Yeah, that's good to hear. That sounds interesting. I can't say I've... How do, do you have a lot of experience with any apps for teams? I'm, I can't say that I've messed with any of those. That'll be interesting. Maybe I'll have to download some other USL apps to kind of check those out. So then when it does come out, we can maybe kind of have a comparison if they say they're looking for something special to really see what the difference is that uh, RFC, you know, took it above and beyond. Because if I don't have a baseline, I'm just, you know, it might be one of those things where well, I, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> so I can tell you that in, in the club that we used to follow, when it came to Open Cup, which oh, we're going to have a long <laughs> conversation about that in a minute, fans, those tickets weren't something that would be produced from a print perspective. So you would you would get the, the digital versions in your account. The only way to access that was through the app. So 
Uh, I do have a little bit of experience with with that from an MLS side. And then during this year, kind of doing the homework and, and the the learnings, uh, I did download several of the team's apps. I downloaded Rio Grande, which ugh, another conversation we have to have. <laughs> and uh, I downloaded El Paso's to see like what would that be like as an experience. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of a baseline. It's not it's not something super incredible. It's it's not an app that's going to control your life or shape your destiny or cook your breakfast, but it is something that will help you navigate your fandom with the club. And so I just I think Rhode Island FC is on the right the right trajectory for what they want to to build for it. And if some of these maybe more loftier ideas that they have uh, are things that they can put into fruition, then that's going to be just another feather in the cap for for the club. So, um, but speaking of fans and the experience. Uh, Rhode Island FC also uh, is launching a fan council, which I thought when I read the news was really, really cool. I, I don't, I mean, it's not unique. The a typical team will have some sort of mix of, you know, access from the supporters group to make sure that they are being taken care of. Usually they have like a liaison between themselves, the league and the and the front office. I I, I don't know if I've ever heard of a club in year one, making sure that that kind of setup is is something that's important. Usually, they start doing it when they see things backslide, right? Like what what we, we haven't done our we haven't executed our vision or our plan because the fans are upset or they're revolting or they're not happy. The fact that the club's doing this before we even play a first game it seems very transformative. I was super excited about it. I almost wanted to apply and then realized that that's a conflict of interest and. And, and we can already talk to them, so I, I think we don't need to be a part of that. But you know, you see, you see things you just want to participate in naturally, right? Yeah, that's really that's really cool. I I think it is a a really good idea too, um, so that you don't get to a spot where you have like supporter groups, you know, protesting or walking out on games or smashing you on socials. If you ha- hear their voice ahead of time. The club is going to know, hey, maybe this decision we made at some point or they don't like how we are doing something. It gives them time to kind of course correct it before that flame becomes a forest fire. And then all of a sudden no one wants to have anything to do with the club, you know. Right. I I don't know how they're going to select the fans. I'll be really interested to find out, you know, is it that they'll look at your zip code to make sure that, you know, all five of them aren't in you know, Coventry or something like that. Sorry, Block Island. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I do think to that, to that piece, and I've said this a couple of times, you know, diversity is important, uh, especially in this state and making sure that that is well represented by the fan council and the communities that they serve. I think that, you know, that's probably the one thing I would call out is making sure that they stay focused on that. And I I think they will. I think they know that they're smart enough to, to understand that. But yeah, you don't want, you know, five best friends from the same, from the same town, calling all the shots so awesome for them to open that up i'll be really curious to see who wins it maybe we can have conversations with someone who would be quote unquote in charge of that and uh and learn kind of what their responsibilities really entail and uh and what that'll look like uh in the future so more to come on that but uh if you still want to apply for it i i checked the form right before we started recording it's still open it's on their twitter so you should just check that out if you're interested and apply. Uh, I did ask how many people they had already applied, and they said it was more than they had anticipated. So there's definitely an, a strong appetite out there. So if you want to take your chances, uh, just make sure you get that in sooner than later, because I can't imagine that that form will stay open much longer. And you know, speaking of fans, when you have fans that are giving you advice and they are sharing their feelings, maybe you don't go do something really terrible, like fold your club in the uh, quiet of the night. 
Did I curse them? Was listen, it me? Listen, as 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 fun as it would be to make a joke that it was your fault, I got I have to be serious for a moment and say that you know coming into the league for for our first year and seeing two teams fold, I was I was sad when the loyal had to fold, but I respected what that club did and how they embraced their demise. Seeing how the Rio Grande Valley Toros have folded, I'm angry. I'm very upset. I I was already angry at this news on top of the Open Cup news, which we'll talk about. I, I, I've been very angry this week, and I, I'm trying to make sure that I don't say something inappropriate that makes us have to put this as a not-for-everyone audience episode <laughs> because it's tough. But this one, this one really, it really upset me because when you think about the obligations of what a sporting club has, it's really easy to remember it's about the fans, right? Like this club let their fans down. They went into the off season assuming that they would be playing next year. They didn't get to celebrate their club. They didn't get to experience, you know, that kind of like wake while they were still alive. Like what the loyal did, the loyal got to send out their club in style and, and with, with passion, people showed up for it. I, I think the same thing would have happened for Rio Grande Valley and their supporter group, the Stampede, if they knew that that was the end of it. But on top of that, when you take that away, it, like imagine the fans for Rio Grande Valley that, that went to log in to social media, hearing that the, the schedule was about to drop for the league to find out, yeah, you don't have a schedule because you no longer have a team. Like that, that is, that is irresponsibility at such such a extreme offense that I, I can't even I can't even qualify it in words right now. Just thinking about it again, it, it's making me so it, it's just making me so upset. What that what that club has done, what what they did because they're gone. It was it was just it was cowardly. It, it was shameful. It, it it was it was something so inappropriate to rob fans of the ability to celebrate them. But more so, and and what's really important here, it was irresponsible. It was criminal to rob players of the ability to start finding new places to play. And that's the thing that I didn't even think about in the moment. And you brought this up several times when we talked about the loyal through the entire run of this podcast. About you, you, you kept focusing, Jason, on the players, on the administrative staff. There are people who lost their job because this, this club just folded. And rather than give them the time to, say, find an open position with Rhode Island FC, like we were hiring people. That would have been a great time to be interviewing if you still wanted to work with this league or with work with a sporting team. These players, I don't know that they knew. I mean, maybe I've heard a lot of rumors around the league that it was not like a super secret that this was happening. But at the same time, I don't believe that they could have told everybody because then it would have gotten out faster than it did. We heard with maybe like four or five days heads notice that it was happening and we were sworn to secrecy. I don't know when the players got engaged. But what I do know is, is that if you think about Coke Vegas, we signed him on November 1st. It was the like two days after the San Diego Loyal were knocked out of the playoffs. It was a couple days before the, um, the Open Cup final. I don't know how long that negotiation had been going on. I don't know if we were always going for him, for him as a player of choice, regardless or independent of the Loyal's uh, collapse. But at least he was able to sign. There are still San Diego Loyal players that have not been picked up yet. I haven't heard of any other Rio Grande Valley player being picked up except for the one we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode. Those people lost, what, it's the 22nd when this goes live? They lost almost two months? 
the season starts in the preseason starts in less than 20 days that's that that is criminal that that is that is just so unacceptable from so many for so many different reasons and i'll even go further and say by proxy the usl is responsible for this because they probably knew of rgv's state of the state of the state months ago if if this was a decision they had to pull very last minute up to when the schedule for next year came out usl is culpable in this in my opinion like they knew it was happening and they let down their fans and players just as much as that as that team did and i it I am angry on their behalf. I'm angry at what they did. And I just find it so unacceptable that that's the way they chose to do business. What I will say is um, when we talk about losing two teams this year, there's San Diego Loyal and there's the RGV Toros. Both of them, in some ways, this is like MLS's fault. And it's in two different ways. San Diego, I mean, wasn't able to you know acquire a stadium but also with MLS coming in there, it just there's no way they could fight against that. I I probably knew this, but maybe I forgot. Did you know the Toros actually started out as an affiliate team for the Houston Dynamo? And so from what I've gathered, the ownership kind of had no interest in being a real soccer club in that regard. I well, look, I, I did know that they were a quote unquote original feeder for like the the Dynamo too, but. But if this team was in such disrepair or such disorder, why did the league not step in and find owners? And again, maybe they did. We, we don't know, but there's no transparency. You know, we know with the loyal, they, they looked for every viable option. What I, I want to know, what did RGV do? What did they attempt to do to save this organization? Because right now, it, it looks like they did nothing. It looks like they knew what they were going to do. They were cowards and didn't want to share it. They didn't want to be up front. And then they put merchandise on a deep discount without saying anything and then just locked the doors and walked out. It's, it's, it, it is, that is selfish. That is immature. And that's not how I want to see teams or my league that I'm investing time as a fan and as a podcaster. Uh, I, that's not how I want to see them spend time. So shame on them. They, USL absolutely plays a part in this. It, it's just irresponsible. And, and then the USPL, a came out for the players association and they they talked about how the human piece of this is it can't be forgotten you know it 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 is robbing people of money it is robbing people of their livelihood and we're supposed to just be like oh well you know Rhode Island FC has a bunch of cool games coming up so let's just move on i i i it just i don't know and this the, the weird thing is is like i'm not even at my maximum anger yet tonight cuz there's so much else to be angry about that i just i hope we never see this happen again i hope this is a wake-up call for the league especially now with all the other things going on that if you are going to have to lose a team and that's what has to happen do it the right way don't do this to your fans because like those people at rgv they're never going to go back like i know they wouldn't watch like el paso or um san antonio you know that the the teja copa like they're not going to like just shift loyalties but why would they ever come back to usl why would they wa- why would they continue to watch a league I, I still watch MLS games, but if if my team did that to me, I I would never I would never invest again. I would never invest my time or my money, which I yeah. might because of this whole league's cup thing too. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I I imagine depending on how long they were supporting the Taurus, they might just be they might be full blown soccer fans at this time. So they move on to some other league potentially. 
I mean, um, it's it's super close to the border. I, I yeah. I when you say that you hope this doesn't happen, and again, I also do, but I still think about one of the episodes we talked about, like the ownerships, and I still think there are some a few clubs who are suspect that you know it, it sucks, but I just don't know if they're going to be here in a few years. I think all of the new clubs look to be coming into this from like a different perspective and I'm not too worried about any of them but you know do we still have Las Vegas lights in a few years as long as that helicopter's dumping cash on the soccer field Is the, you know uh what's it Loudon maybe are they still there in a few years I I don't know listen I'm not saying that clubs can't or need to fold if they're not economically viable and they're not producing what's needed for this league to grow and thrive I understand that. I'm just saying that if this, if a club will be that at risk at the end of the season to cease operations, it needs to be transparently provided like the loyal did with a few home games to go and let fans, let fans share in the moment before something important to them is taken away. That's all. Oh yeah, def- all. definitely. They, they could have done this in a, a much better, much better way. They Jason, didn't... I would have gone down. Because that was our commitment was we would go see for the stadium alone. We would have, I would have gone down. I would have watched them. I was going to go to the San Diego Loyal. I was in San Diego. They just didn't make it. I had faith that they'd make it further in the playoffs. So I, I took a calculated risk and lost. I would have gone and see that just to celebrate the club. Yeah. Um, there's still an un- kind of, I don't know, unfortunate scenario that the USL finds itself in where it's a, it's a law almost in some ways like a lawless wild west where you don't have people coming in to to resurrect a team because they're not that old so they don't have the history and that market value that people find them you know if if manchester united was going bankrupt or whatever someone that brand is worth enough money someone will buy that team because they'll make their money back and here toros they're just like i'll just make a new team somewhere else because a lot of these with the exception of a few most of these teams are don't they they don't have a lot of history to fall back on to have that passionate fan base to make it worth it for someone to invest the money to save them look i get it eight years is not enough time to say that you've created a tradition that's worth saving i i totally understand that likewise i think that you would not see someone invest to save but it doesn't mean that you can't go out with dignity they didn't go out with dignity yeah and that that's the problem like you said that the way that they did this was not a good look it should have been a similar thing towards the end of the season they could have you know to say hey unfortunately this is not going to work out you know thank you for all the memories let's celebrate um our last few games together and you know have a good time yeah and i think i read somewhere and this is more to the U.S. soccer problem, which we'll we'll touch in the Open Cup part. But it was the 155th team to, you know, quote unquote, fold or cease operations in the history of U.S. Uh, sporting soccer clubs uh, at all at all ranges. So it, it's a larger it's it's an example of a larger problem that continues to happen. But then also speaking to the whole Wild Wild West comment you meant, there's also something that needs to be discussed that I haven't heard a lot about yet. And that's that Memphis 901 has been directly impacted because of this. With Rhode Island FC and North Carolina FC joining the league and San Diego Loyal leaving, 
it was supposed to be kind of a uh, topsy-turvy, imbalanced uh, conference between the East and the West. But it was okay because one would have more clubs than the other. But with with Rio Grande Valley also leaving in the West, they were down two. So now two teams had to move over to just to make them whole. We already all knew Tulsa from a geography standpoint was moving. But the next closest team to go West is Memphis now. And I've seen this problem happen in other sports and other leagues. I think the MLS actually suffered through it with Nashville and Minnesota United um, a couple of times and Chicago also. Uh, it just it's it's such a weird sporting mix because there's so much coastal play that um, Memphis now has to shift over and that's a that is a big problem for that club because one watching games in California or Pacific time zones as an Eastern fan that that sucks right you're watching a, a 7 p.m. game at, you know Orange County that you're gonna have to play them you're watching it at 10 o'clock if you're a true fan. That's really, really difficult. It's unfortunate. Um, Memphis is not too close to the West Coast, so last time I checked, it's yeah. it's a couple states between. <laughs> I, yeah, last time I checked, you know, can't read, but it might not be that close I to think the West there's Coast. A Rocky Mountain between them or something. Like it, it's just insane. And then on top of that, too, for the people that don't really know clubs outside of Rhode Island FC, Memphis nine hundred one is not high on the attendance. It's it's still a, a team that is growing its identity but it's not on pace with the rest of the clubs if, if i were to say there was a club that was at risk from attendance it's the clubs like loudon and, and memphis so the fact now that surprise all of your away games you're probably not going to be invested in that's that's not a that was not a good choice but what else are you going to do yeah i do you think that they ask usl and be like hey can you, i mean do they subsidize all the travel you know what i mean like the, the cost that for that we don't know we need to find that out because, yeah, I'd be curious if they're like, yo, you're, we're kind of getting screwed here. The, their budget <laughs> their budget for travel just had to increase by, that's a great point, 30, 30% minimum. And and maybe there were there were places that they were going to just drive to, and now it's it's flights each. Oh, yeah. That's a very, it's a very good observation. Yeah, I, I'd be curious that uh how that works out because they did not, you know, come out on top there. Agreed. All right, well, we, we got to move on again. Two hours and 22 minutes. Let's keep going. So let's jump into the other thing that's just going to make people's blood boil. I mean, it's it's the it's drama at the at the highest of the soccer wars. I mean, soccer wars are alive right now and, th- and thriving for all the wrong reasons. So if you've been living under a rock uh, since last Friday at 5 o'clock, uh, the MLS announced, and, and 5 p.m. press releases are the ultimate, please don't pay attention, please don't pay attention, uh, news mitigation tactic. But uh, MLS announced that it was withdrawing all first-team competition from the U.S. Open Cup. And furthermore, they were supplementing those roster spots within the tournament with their MLS Next Pro, which is right now currently a Division Three setup, to, uh, to take their place in the tournament. The goal behind this was to, quote-unquote, reduce schedule congestion after seeing some of their teams play as many as, as 51 or more games in regular uh, scheduled league. You know, and, and that wasn't just the MLS schedule, but that was competing in CONCACAF, that was competing in the uh, Leagues Cup, that was competing in that new uh, Superliga thing that they have between the champion of Liga Emekis and MLS, uh, that was also the US Open Cup. So they're, they're saying that, you know, it's too many games for the MLS. And in reality, we know where the schedule congestion's coming from. It's coming from a cup that they've created out of thin air with the Leagues Cup 
And it's also coming from the expanded playoff format that was MLS playoffs. You know, the playoffs for teams that didn't make it to the final were still playing double the amount of games that they ever played when we've had knockout rounds in the past. And then for the League's Cup, if you made it to the, the you know, highest rounds of the, the game, you were, you were playing four or five extra matches. So let's not kid ourselves where these were coming from. But what's really interesting, too, and I learned this from, a, from another podcast, that when this announcement came out, the USSF was having their Christmas party. They, they had no idea. They were completely caught off guard by this announcement from Don Garber and the MLS. Uh, and let's get honest, the updates over the weekend and up until, um, you know, just basically a few hours ago was that uh, fans across the league, p- former and active players, supporters groups, uh, the USL fans, the MLS fans, pundits, everyone's been against this. Like, if there's ever been a soccer decision to rally around, it's been the poor approval of this being decided as a good idea. And so after days of everyone wondering what would the USSF do about this, how would they respond, how would USL respond, uh, finally the US Soccer Federation responded by denying MLS's request to not only move out of their participation in the US Open Cup, but also blocking their ability to enter reserve teams from entering in their place. Um, the exception to this being right now, no one's really clear if this will impact the independently owned uh, clubs of Chattanooga FC and Carolina Core FC, which are represented in MLS Next Pro, but since they're not immediately attached to the um, the like the the you know two teams that represent MLS NP, uh, they they still technically can perform or or participate because of that. So. Uh, this is this has been one of the wildest times in your in in my life. I, we spent some of the first episodes talking about the rich history of the Open Cup. You know, now becoming USL fans, how important this this is. I I can't. I don't understand how this grows soccer in America at a time where we need this to grow soccer in America. Can you help me make sense of this? There's there's a lot to unpack here. Um. The, when we talk about MLS gave the reason for exiting the cup is to reduce congestion fixture. Did you see in my notes that's basically it's the like Eric Andre meme where he just shoots the guy? It's like, how could you do this? Like there I, I don't buy that excuse. Um nobody. Nobody I don't even know if Don Garber buys that excuse. And and that's I I think that's the big problem why there's so much anger from this too is they're not being transparent as to like what the actual problem is. So it's leading to a, tons of armchair analysts and experts, and there's so many articles, and I see conflicting information. But I think it, it's kind of coming down to money, um, unfortunately, like most things do in the world. But yeah, I, I do have some thought. I, I Did you see that Don Garber serves as a role on the board of directors for U.S. Soccer? So... I I don't think that is a good look for US soccer in terms of should the the goal of US soccer should be to for to help all of US soccer thrives. Yeah, if, but do, do you know where the Don Gar that you know where that comes from, right? The what? The you know where the Don Garber position comes from on the board, right? So so for the for listeners that don't know the inner complexities of this, this is all due to a a really interconnected deal with the soccer united marketing broad like broadcast and marketing package that existed for 20 years between ussf and mls 
So it it really tied the two fates together for all media rights, for all broadcast privileges. The two had to work in lockstep. So obviously the USSF was probably never not going to exist because they have enough funding by their own system that they could have always fielded a team for a FIFA competition. We, We just wouldn't have seen what we've seen. MLS absolutely needed that deal at the time to survive because that had revenue percentages that had profitability built in. So working in hand with USSF, it made sense at the time. And also just the, the, the player alliances that have to exist because, you know, as MLS grows the domestic product that helps, you know, raise the tide of, of USSF talent as well for them to pick on. You know, we saw that with, with Klinsman in 2014, where he was like, Hey, I'm going to breach the whole system and find every, you know, secondary citizen I can, because that's where the real talent is. This, this sum package connected Don Garber to the USSF. I think as a result of this, especially wherever this goes next, that probably will not continue to be a thing, at least as a conflict of interest. Sorry for interrupting, but I want to make sure that people know why that he served on or why he continued to serve in that capacity. No, no, no. Thanks for that. I, I didn't know the history behind that. But the problem with this is he is looking out for MLS he's not going to be thinking about what is best for soccer as a whole. So I just think that's not a, not a great look. Um, you know what I love though, too, is that he's the boogeyman here and he's, he's a puppet. Everyone thinks that this was like Don Garber's backyard conversation with himself. Like, how can I really make a name for myself? No, he's doing what the owners bid because it's a closed system for, for the MLS. They're, you know they're they're trying to become the NFL or MLB those organizations do not report to another agency or another organization for how they schedule how they play and how they're responsible because those those uh leagues don't have a global tournament that they have to participate in so the owners which by the way also own organizations in the MLB and the NFL they want to treat it more like what they know from a profitability standpoint, from a control standpoint, and that's not how soccer works. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the issue here. Um, soccer, I, I, I think, like I wrote this in my notes. I think to a certain extent, MLS owners might be overestimating their popularity, and that's not to say that MLS has not grown a lot. But like, if we're being honest with ourselves, soccer is still not the most popular sport in the world. You still find lots of people being like, oh, ha, 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 zero, zero games. Everyone's flopping, rolling around. Like, you know, you we've all heard that nonsense. But the reality is this is still a growing sport. And I think that if you change this, like I've never under the impression that MLS was going to be pure European soccer, right? I think anyone who, who thinks that way is, is just dumb in the head. But you have to find that right balance to draw in quote unquote, you know, global soccer fans and, and that appeal, if it is too different, if you create a closed system, just like the the Super League nonsense that happened, no one wants that. That's not what that's not appealing. Like the reason I became a soccer fan is because of the the excitement, the the difference that it has. Where you instead of having these end of season games where you're not in the playoffs and doesn't mean anything, and there's like twelve people there, like that's not fun. When I started watching soccer, and I was like, oh, there's you know 
X amount of games and whoever has the most points at the end wins. Like that was awesome. I know MLS is not exactly like that, but we still do have the supporter shield and the playoffs. So it's, you know, it's a version of it. It's kind of the best we can do. I didn't ever expect them to get rid of it, but to now just say like, well, let's take away the open cup. One of the few things that kind of made soccer feel more authentic here to have a tournament that was kind of like the FA cup where, you know, some random team that has like a octopus as their logo can join in and potentially play against an MLS team. Like that's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, the the thing here is, is that MLS doesn't have a responsibility to anyone but MLS. Right. And what I find so fascinating is, is it's, it's almost hypocrisy because the MLS has seen its largest growths or upticks in, in attendance and in uh, fans joining the league in the, you know, quote unquote cyclical moments where there's been a World Cup year. And we saw that in 2018 when the U.S. did not qualify. MLS did not grow by its 4% number year over year that it sees because of... Um, because of, of just the World Cup on its own, where that introduces new people to the sport. Likewise, when they have these big signings like David Beckham or, you know, that guy named Lionel Messi, those are the moments that grow the, the, the sport. I, I got into an argument with someone on, on Twitter about how they said, well, it doesn't matter because it's MLS doesn't care about the Open Cup because it's, it's a silly thing for them. And it's just more, it's more games, it's more time, it's potential injuries. It just doesn't matter. Maybe maybe to MLS that's true. And I, I think also, if I'm being fair, to the normal MLS fan, they, they don't have as much skin in the game here for this tournament. But also, you know, this was a Revs person arguing with me. I, I can look at stats. And the New England Revolution have not grown their attendance year over year at any capacity over the last 20 years. They, they've they've risen a couple of times by a couple of percentage points, and then they've had bad seasons or bad performing years to where it declines. So the average comes out to where they've seen maybe 4% growth over 20 years. That's not good. Like 4% in a normal business model, you would be bankrupt or you'd be out of business. Like inflation alone would kill you from your profitability. So that's, that's not actually good. So, you know, I, I understand that. But then at the same time, you know, MLS might, not care about the open cup but you know what they do care about they care about that that slot for the champions cup and i will tell you too if you go and ask uh i think it was the dynamo the dynamo won this year they won the open cup you go and tell those players that that didn't matter to them that they they took on messi and well they took on inter miami and and beat them in the final that matters to them and for some teams in the mls because we don't have pro rail to your point about trying to match european soccer that's all they can compete for by the end of the season because they're not competing to stay relevant or or alive and you know based on the dynamics of how teams are built some clubs just that's what they can compete for that's what they can celebrate at the end of the year so it's it's very asinine i think for mls to or its fans to say oh the open cup doesn't matter because you know we have playoffs and we have the supporter shield no it absolutely matters and it's it's super frustrating to think that it's acceptable that that an organization gets to bully the USSF. And I think, you know, to your point about the transparency, like just be honest about it. This is my favorite conflicting piece of data. The MLS claims that by getting out of the Open Cup, 
they are freeing up six midweek games that no one goes to. And maybe that's true. It, it, it's it's hard to code in a, in a major city. Sometimes it's hard to get to those games, especially if you're already attending, you know, 20 home games for the year. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to fight that. But they said that it frees up six mid, midweek matches. But then the Open Cup brought out data themselves and said, what are you talking about? The average amount of games that MLS plays is one or two because they come in at the third round of the Open Cup. And then they either get knocked out or they have to knock each other out. And that's that one or two you know, games. At that point, the David versus Goliath story gets really small because by design, the Open Cup whittles out the lesser competitors, brings the most important or the most powerful players into the game. And then you have those magic moments of a USL club or a Division Three team taking on MLS. Like That's what matters. So the idea that this is like helping the schedule congestion, I think League's Cup to make it to the final round, you're playing like seven games. So this actually doesn't help them at all. It just creates the narrative that they don't care about one of the oldest tournaments, not just in America. It is the oldest tournament, I think, in America, but it's also one of the oldest, like, like top three in the world for soccer. And just don't don't lie to us. Like, we're not stupid, Don Garber. Be honest to yourself. Be honest that there's something much more at control here, and it's not, it's not schedule congestion. And if it is schedule congestion, it's because of the League's Cup and the playoffs. It is not because of the Open Cup. I mean, it. It's like it comes down to control. I think they they they've got messy, and they think that they've got everything that they need now, and they can just lock up shop. We're all good now. Money is just gonna print itself out. We're gonna play these Liga MX team in the middle of the season, and people are gonna love it. <laughs> so real fast on that. So because I do agree with you about this whole like battle of control and money. Liga Mekis, like people have been saying, oh, well, look at the look at the number of people that show up for these. Yes, fans of Liga Mekis are showing up to watch these games. Yes, Liga Mekis is making money off of the League's Cup tournament. But they're not enjoying the format. They are not appreciating what's happening to them. They are traveling massive distances. All of them got knocked out before the final. They're, it's it's all, you know, it, it might the fans might show up to support, but they're all away games for this tournament. There's no equity. There's no fairness in a true League's Cup. And and they have multiple problems in this. Club Lyon got stuck in Vancouver and had to sleep overnight in an airport due to airliner logistics and hotel problems because they couldn't and they couldn't do anything about it. Like, make no mistake, I bet you if Liga Mekis could walk away, if it wasn't just the money, they do not want to participate in this tournament. Oh, you... You bet for sure that if we sent our teams there, we would lose. Like I've seen Concacaf Champions we League, show, we wouldn't watch it either. Our our players get scared. Though those those Mexican like teams show up, and they batter us at their home games. Like if it, this is part of the the control, we play them in our home ground. You know we can usually win. You then have to go to the away leg in Mexico. You lose 2-0 and, you know, your fans get beaten up. <laughs> right. And I mean, here's the other thing too. League's Cup is just privatized CONCACAF Cup. I mean, literally, that's why we have CONCACAF. It's not to invite every team or, or, or most teams to participate. That's why we have CONCACAF. You want to see the best of the best take on the other side's best of the best. It it doesn't make sense. And to the and to the the cost piece though too, because MLS has said also that it's a it's a negative revenue expenditure. Yes, 
the open cup does cost money but you did some research on what those costs are and they are like they're a dime in the bucket compared to what has been speculated as this whole you know how much it really costs and and true and before you say these numbers there is more cost associated to the staffing to the gates to all of that like i'm not i'm not ignorant i don't think you're ignorant we're just strictly talking the ussf take and the us open cup take but like it's not sometimes you do things because it's the right thing to do for the for the growth of the sport not because it's costing you a little bit of money and to taylor twelman's point on something he ranted about five years ago then then let the other team host someone said oh hartford athletic you know they wouldn't have had 30,000 people or 26,000 people show up. No, they won't because they can only fit like 10 in their stadium, 10,000 people. But if that game that Hartford Athletic had played earlier this year against the Revs at Gillette had been played in Hartford, more people would have become a fan or more people more people would have been to the idea that David can slay Goliath. You get better atmospheres in those two when you have those packed out little stadiums. It's, it's why I think Rhode Island FC is going to be the superior product Maybe we don't have the best talent compared to the Revolution, but I would rather be in a 5,000, you know, 100% filled stadium than be at 16 or 22,000 people for what Gillette holds like 60, 70,000 people. Like that, that, that matters. That matters. But, but I know you want to talk about the U.S. Open Cup cost because I think it's important we also call that out. Yeah. So there was some, some stuff being thrown around online. Someone, they were claiming that USSF was, um, charging i think like 50 percent of the ticket prices and part of the this issue came from the athletic who did go back and correct it but if we look here at the hosting fees i mean you know first round a thousand dollars second round 2500 third round five thousand i mean by the time you get to the final it goes up to you know three hundred twenty five thousand. but it's it's not what people are are reporting online yeah but what when when so emma again with only one or two games, that's third round potentially, but most often it's the fourth round. What is the cost to an MLS club? $12,000. $12,000 to clubs that are worth allegedly one hundred to $500 million. You know, they spend $500 million on an expansion fee. Yeah. You can't, you can't, can't, spend $12, you can't find $18,000. I can find $18,000. That, that is, that is insane. It, it is, it is, it is a lie. And it is it is inappropriate to to tell a narrative that isn't true. What, what what's even crazier about that is they were going to send their their third division teams. So it wasn't about the money, then was it? Right. And and okay, so I, I was going to say this at the end of like what they could do. Nobody cares if you send your reserves. Nobody cares. Like LAFC sent, I, I think they sent fifteen year olds in. I, I mean, I literally think they sent fifteen year olds to play in the Trafico version of us open cup because regionally they got they got squared against la galaxy they got beat they got run out but they played like kids and that was their choice because again schedule congestion they were right in the middle of uh the Concacaf finals at the time and like that was the choice they made yeah it's it's up to each club and their manager and you know what their priorities are for the season and if they just don't want to field the strongest team for the open cup then that's their prerogative you know, maybe that changes as you go further on. You start to see, oh, you know what, man, we're making it pretty far. We're only in like eighth place in the league. Maybe let's try and win this Open Cup. So I want to ask you this because I, I still don't understand. I know, I know you're closer to it, but I, I don't, I don't think you can even 
accurately define it right now. But a lot of the conversation has been that with MLS, you know, attempting this withdrawal, that it 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 violates the bylaws and, and the requirements of Division One provisioning, right? And I'm curious, you know, I know what Division One means from the from the spirit of FIFA regulations and the amount of um, requirements that they need to be as a league to participate in D1 level of play. I know that's been one of the talking points about USL is could they elevate our league to eventually become a, like a secondary D1 running side by side with MLS. Different conversation for a different day. But I think a lot of people don't really understand the, the, the uh, inner mechanics that are built into D1 provisioning. So things like, you know, how does that impact their CCL eligibility for CONCACAF? How does that inter- impact international ITC requirements? Like, what what have you learned in doing some research, or at least what has been uh, alleged that are the things that will be impacted by this quote-unquote D1 sanctioning if the USSF isn't toothless and decides to, to levy some sanctions or embargoes on their D1 provisioning? So... To clarify here, this is this is some stuff that I've read. I've done a little bit of research, um, but I can't verify it. If anyone has like a quick explain, like I'm five, maybe send it our way. I'd love to kind of go through some of that. But I was seeing in some of the immediate fallout, people were saying that if MLS does not send its teams, that they could be sued and lose some Division One provisioning, and that some of the ramifications could be that players in the MLS would not be eligible to play for their national team. Like I said, I can't verify that, but I found that very interesting. I also realistically knew that, you know, I probably not going to happen that the suit lawsuit is going to happen. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Is it, is it applicable only to the national team or is it applicable to any participating FIFA Federation league? Uh, it would, so, so would that be that Messi couldn't play for Argentina? So if that's what, you know, the, if what was if what I read was correct and what the person said knew what they were talking about, but this is dependent upon their division 1 um like title being pulled. So that actually has to happen for that and and like let's be honest it's not going to get that far. Right, but I mean but that may be the theoretical you know, theoretically if if um this US Soccer Federation wanted to to go nuclear and like do that that from what i read like i said i i can't i wasn't able to verify this the the rules are are very very long but you know that could be a ramification of it i i don't think it'll so be happen so hypo- hypothetical aside though because what i've been trying to understand is, is everyone's like oh they'll lose d1 sanctioning they'll lose d1 sanctioning i haven't been able to figure out where the teeth in that threat is so if this is what it, it th- that's where it matters. Because in my mind, it, if if the MLS just wants to pick up the ball and, and go home with it, then they just try to create a closed loop system like the MLB, like the NFL, like the NHL. I haven't been able to understand what does the USSF have over the rights to provide that D1 classification. So it, it has to, it would make sense that it's something to that degree. It, it, I mean, it make it does make sense, but... Will it happen? There's no way. If it comes down to Messi not being able to play for Argentina, it, it will never get to that this moment. They will find a way to to deal a, a you know backdoor, quiet hush hush conversation. Uh, they'll do something, but it will that will not stand. Yeah, because um, that's Copa. That that wouldn't that would entangle Copa next year. 
yeah, I don't, I don't see it getting to that. Um, I think this is, like you said, Don Garber is somewhat of a puppet. I think the ownership groups at this point, this is them like poking a bear. They're like, you know, kind of see, what if we didn't play open cup games? <laughs> kind of like, like what if, what, what, what would happen? Because they did say in a, in some sort of statement um, that they released that they would evaluate the following year going forward. So, yeah, but the schedules are written. The tournament starts pretty early in the season. No, no, no but the, the year after. Okay, but but let's address the emo- the immediacy of it. Does this does this threat does this denial of of MLS request to withdraw and the exclusion of MLS Next Pro does this position it to the tournament continues to happen? And if it does, it's going to happen without the MLS now. Or do they have to go back and figure this out with schedules already released and figure this out very quickly? Um, I don't know. Do you know when the U.S. Open Cup schedule happens? It's, it starts like first week of March, February. It, it's con- like everything up to the final is basically cemented by June, and then you you get some extreme time off, and then the the finals are played out um in the in the back half of the year. But like a lot of the early logistics, like where D where Division One teams come in, is usually the like first week of April. I I imagine. Unless something changes, they're just going to do it without MLS teams. So, and someone asked this of us online, so that's why I wanted to have this this kind of conversation. If that is the case, this positions the USL to be the top league currently in the Open Cup. And so two things come to my mind. Is the CCL sanctioned spot for that the tournament Victor earns, is that on the line then because there's no D1 club participating? That hasn't come out and been said. And then second, does this position a USL team, i.e. Rhode Island FC, to win the Open Cup and actually go into CCL play for the first time since, what, the 1999 Rochester Rhinos? I mean, that's that's huge. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to make, I don't, I don't even really want to take a silver lining out of this because I don't feel like it's the right way to earn it, but you could see Rhode Island FC in Champions League play next year. That's insane. Yeah. Or sorry, not next year. It's still 2023 be, yeah, for a week. The year after. The year after, yeah. Um, you know, not, not that we want to go into silver linings either, but if if this is like a permanent thing where MLS is just like trying to turn into a closed shop, I almost think that this needs to galvanize the league to really think about Pearl Rel to really like go after soccer fans in America who are maybe not fans of American soccer and be like, look, this is a legitimate, you know, global soccer league. You know, maybe we still have the playoffs, but we have an open cup and we have promotion and relegation. You know, whereas MLS is like, hey, we're gonna turn into the NFL. Yeah. And and then again which is not what soccer fans want. Right. And if there is other D one sanctioning, you know, again outside of the the quote unquote ITC bands, that there is also the fact that that would mean USL would earn some of the additional just, you know, the winner of the player shield would get a spot in CCL. The winner of the USL Championship Cup would get a spot. I don't think it'll get to that. I do hope that if I would almost demand that if the MLS doesn't finagle their way back in and they somehow get to stay out because of this at least for a year, I I really hope that we don't lose that open cup spot 
for for hopefully a USL team winning it. Maybe someone, you know, maybe Sharktopus FC <laughs> comes up and, and wins big. I don't I won't <laughs> pretend like that can't happen. That's the be- that's the beauty of the US Open Cup, right? Like that's the narrative. It's David fighting and hopefully slaying Goliath. And it hasn't happened in 20 years, but you know, like that's the magic of it. So I really want to also just kind of tie in because we talked about some some uh, Soccer United marketing a minute ago, probably like 10 minutes ago now. But I, one of the thing is, is you had mentioned that this is like a battle of money, right? US Open Cup doesn't produce, it's, it's a detractor. It, it actually probably financially impacts MLS, whereas Leagues Cup is making them, you know, just cash left and right. But it's also a battle of control. You know, the Apple TV deal, it's supposed to cement all of like the mainstream soccer outside of U.S. soccer, right? But Open Cup, because of of Soccer United marketing splitting, USSF is now back in control of just the Open Cup, which means it's not attached to Apple TV. And you said something really insightful that when the the messy Welcome to America documentary came out... um, he was he was making a deep leagues cup, but he was also making a deep open cup play, and that 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 entire thing had only the leagues cup. It didn't show a single minute of open cup, and there were some really important moments that he contributed to the open cup, and so that kind of got me realizing that this is as much also and and again it's money like it's it's control is also money, but this is also the fact that Apple is choosing to ostracize something that they can't provide access to that they can't build in their portfolio so it's more than just the money piece of it it's also just kind of like who gets the right to show soccer in our country uh to jump on that too with the whole apple thing it you know it's some speculation but you know some of the open cup games are like one camera in a stadium with like a thousand people playing you know they're, they're small small teams here so that is not a nice pretty apple kind of product that the MLS can can give Apple, where everything is nice and clean and polished, and they all have their circular, you know, Photoshop-looking logos. It's it's you know it's it's real low-level American soccer teams. I feel like that was a dig more on Apple as a company than it was on soccer coverage. You you went. I could see you getting passionate about insulting. No, the that, Apple that brand. was also kind of like we've talked about this too. I. I the MLS to me is becoming too much like, like I said, that that nice, clean kind of feel. It, it's too much, too corporatized. Right. And 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 listen, it, at the end of the day, if it is something as simple as coverage, I would rather see the Open Cup go to Apple, let them produce it, and make sure that it's there. But then that means Apple has to say like, hey, there may be a game where 1,000 people show up. And we have like, for the quality of what we're producing, this is what we have to showcase. They did the they they covered the first round of the MLS draft. Nobody watches the MLS draft anymore, <laughs> right? So the fact that if they can invest in something like that and treat it like it's you know some NFL signing deal, they can they can find you know Cow Jersey FC and and put a put a camera on it and produce a quality product there for that too. So if it's control over that, I you know if MLS wants to own that part of it, as long as they're not interrupting or disrupting the rules of the Open Cup, then let let them have that. But I also want to say too that the USSF isn't innocent in this. You know, there's a lot of fervor online about the the dismissal of MLS from the cup. And and some people have been really spot on about saying like, well, where were you for these games? You know, like, where were you showing up? Again, I think that the part of that is, is that once that gets the MS, MLS level, the MLS fans aren't as vested. So yeah, you see a, a drop in participation. 
But also too, you know, and I I will say we are guilty. There have been open cup games in the past that I did not care as much because it was a Wednesday game and that was traffic. And I also was going to go to the game on Saturday and relationships can't compete with soccer 100% of the time. So there are also reasons, but for the lower level fans, the USL fans, the Division 3 fans, you know, the amateur fans, this is one of the most important things of the year for them. So sometimes you just have to put things in perspective. And if I can just kind of finish on the problems here, I really also think, and this is the tinfoil hat side of it, I also think this is MLS's shot in the dark to say, we need to find a way to create a gap to the talent that USL is growing into as a league. I think they are an existential threat to MLS. You continue to see USL teams now knock out clubs in the third, fourth, and fifth round. They're getting closer and closer. Sacramento made a final, uh, not this year, but the year before. I think that the league needs to make sure there is some sort of buffer or barrier between itself and the USL so that they can say, we're still the number one product. We are the D1 product, and here's why. Because if you think about it, and I may get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Pittsburgh. Our season, our, our Players' Shield number one team that won in the USL this year, they beat the Columbus Crew yeah. in the Open Cup. Yeah, that happened. The Columbus Crew are, quote-unquote, the best of the best. They they beat all the teams for the MLS Cup. So if you do one of those, like, less than, greater than, does that mean that Pittsburgh Riverhounds are able to beat any other team? Best team in the best in, in the MLS, US, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so to, to me, like, it's, I think, and I think that's the thing in the, in the owner's mind. I think that's the thing at the league for MLS that is constantly like the chip on their shoulder right now, the thing they're afraid to turn back and look at or look at their own reflection in the mirror is that USL is coming for their lunch and how can they continue to rob them of markets that matter? How can they continue to destabilize them or throw wrenches in the plans to make sure that the USL does never, does never, never out accelerates or outgrows MLS? The the crazy thing to think about that though is I, I think that could be signs that it, that maybe U.S. soccer is actually like in a pretty good space right now, at least from a talent-wise perspective, because you look at the Premier League, with the exceptions of like the top teams like Liverpool, City, Arsenal, those other 10 to 15 teams in there, like on any good day, like a championship club could beat them. You know, it's not going to happen every single time. But the championship teams of like their quality has gotten, there's so much money in the championship too. They're not that far behind them. So if you're saying that USL is just right there, just kind of, you know, what's the the biting, nipping at their heels kind of like thing that like, you know, there's enough talent to go around that we have a strong league. And then MLS is kind of like, no, 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 I don't like this. You're too close to us. You need to, get away from us spot on all of your points but i think we need to just kind of continue to move on um i do want to mention you know i i thought about this a little bit so just really quickly to paraphrase we see this as a problem we know that this something needs to get fixed whether it's bringing mls back in or something else but but assuming mls has to return for sanctioning purposes and thinking what they could do differently i think there's some radical changes that they could do and i think there's some minor tweaks that would help benefit all parties uh, invested in the open cup so there's a couple things i wrote down one they could just drop leagues cup Uh, again i don't think it matters i don't think people actually like it 
I think when the messy era is over, it becomes a worthless and uh, invalidated, you know, thing that exists on the schedule. Uh, looking at the MLS schedule that dropped basically all of August, I don't care about the MLS because that's when they'll be playing. And then also too, um, you know, the playoff format, if they keep that for next year, I will tune out from October to December when the final happens because I, I lost track of where the, the MLS playoffs were this year because of the amount of games they had to play. So that's one thing, uh, probably unrealistic. But the other one, this one I think actually makes a lot of sense. Just expand your club rosters. You know, the the thing that marvels me right now is, is that MLS did nothing at their board of governors uh, meetings over the last few weeks um, to to enhance or to expand on the fact that they have Messi right now in a moment where they're probably looking at growth in in exponential numbers versus just small percentages. They're not doing anything. They're not increasing TAM, GAM. I think, well, they might be doing a little bit of that, but like they're not doing anything major to grow the sport into a competitive space that would, you know, catapult it into the leagues you were talking about a second ago. So do something there. It, it maybe if it's not total money or it's 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 physical player salaries, at a minimum allow you to add your reserve teams to the roster for moments like the Open Cup. Again, we said it earlier. I don't care if the Revolution field a Revolution two team at an Open Cup. Fine, if that's what you want to calculate, that's that's totally fine. I will still say we beat the revolution. You know that that's that's how that works. But but there are ways to do that. There are mechanisms that that could support that. But then I think also too, if it's really about money, if it's about you know the the sunken cost of having to to stand the open cup up on the back of MLS, stop hosting the rounds until it's the final. If you feel like you have a superior team and you can take on these challenges, or you just want to try, you know, your youth system and say, hey, like, show us what you can do. If you want a spot on our senior team, go play in the go play in the Lions Den. You know, I, I said earlier with the Hartford Athletic thing, if that game had been played at Hartford Athletic, would we have seen the same results? I don't know. You know, they say they're a better team. Prove it. I, I think when you do that, you allow the sport to grow in those markets that it needs to grow faster. And I think also, too, it helps like the games like that probably help make or break a season when you get to suddenly field an extra sold out game, you know, charge a little bit more for beer and for hot dogs and and you're done, you know, like, and, and on top of that too, you know, <laughs> this is the most radical of them all. But if this is really a problem for you and USL is creeping up and you're worried about the talent, do the most American thing that you can do and just buy the league. I'm serious. <laughs> like acquire, acquire USL. If it's a, if it's a thorn in your side, soccer monopoly, <laughs> go, go buy it go buy it and then permanently put them as a division two. Like you literally own the entire pyramid at that point because you'd have a D one D two D three. And then you'd never have to worry about pro L you never have to worry about anything else. And let's get honest. San Diego FC just dropped $500 million for them to participate. I looked at the Forbes valuation on the total clubs values for each of the clubs. It's about 88 million, but that's in like just the player salaries. When you look at the infrastructure, each club has put together, you're probably looking at like 500 to $800 million the league could easily afford that with the deals they've been making with the Apple deal. I think they got like 2 billion off of it. Go buy USL. Like stop, stop making it a problem and go fix it for yourself. So, you know, I, 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 it sounds silly, but that's what I mean is there's some very realistic approaches and then there's also some ridiculous ones and the MLS needs to do something for themselves, but it's not just MLS. USSF also needs to, they're, they're a part of the problem. They need to step up and invest some stuff as well. Yeah. And so, Part of some of the things that have been coming to light too have been like the the cost associated with this. Um, they're kind of 
the the after the tournament is over, they're pretty like close to even. So they need some some more investment. I think that they realistically probably need a sponsor for the tournament as well too. You know, to be more lighthearted here for a second, you have in England you have the Carabao energy drink cup, right? We need to get ourselves an energy drink sponsor. The <laughs> Lamar Hunt Open Cup presented by Ghost Energy. You know, I'm just, so, just I'm so glad you said Lamar Hunt, by the way. If he was still alive, he would be... Oh, he's rolling in his grave right well, now. He is right now, yeah. But if he was still alive, because he'd still be on the board of directors. He was the owner of the crew. He 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 would never have let this happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Phil Anschutz has allowed this to happen. I'm, I'm wondering if Phil Anschutz is actually alive now, or if he's been weakened at Bernie's. And he's just like a puppet that's get, that gets propped up in those MLS border governance uh, meetings because there's there's absolutely no way that those two people would ever stand for profitability over the the heritage and the tradition that they've been supporting for soccer over the last thirty to fifty years. There's just there's just no way. Or have they lived so long that they've seen themselves become the monsters? Did, oh, they did the they did the Batman thing. <laughs> yeah, um, you know. Back to back to the USSF here. They increase the price packaging, and so tying that back to the sponsorship. If you get more sponsors, you're more likely to make more money. So then you can give out more money. You know, make it make it more of a besides the the CCL spot. You know, make there a monetary reason for going after the tournament as well. Maybe invest into broadcasting. Make the games more accessible. I mean, I, I do think most of them are broadcast on YouTube for free. Yeah, but, 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 but you don't know. I, I could not tell. And, you and even so, asked a second ago, when does the Open Cup, like, you know what I mean? Like I don't know. So, yeah. But you know when there's suddenly a friendly between U.S. and Mexico or when Germany's coming to town. You know that. So, advertising. You know, they need to advertise. And then, while we should respect the heritage and tradition of the Cup, you know, it needs to be built upon. So you you can't just keep breaking even every single year, right? Yeah, hype it up. Don't rest on your laurels. If it's that important, make it exciting, celebrate it, and and go from there. But listen, regardless of all of these decisions that the USSF and MLS and even USL like they're they're gonna have to think about things differently. This this the victim here are the fans, and it's just a, like the most critical blunder in my opinion that. In the few years we have with Messi, with the Copa America coming to America next year and the World Cup coming a few years down the road, I just don't understand how soccer can be getting it this wrong when we have all of these all of these blessings coming our way right now. It's just it's just disappointing to see all you had to do was like not almost do anything. And it was like, no, 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 no. I've got this great idea to destabilize the entire thing. It, it's just disappointing. Yeah, hopefully we look back on this and just kind of see it as like a learning moment or kind of a, a footnote not like a historic downfall of something the biggest <laughs> blunder of all time all right you ready to do schedules let's get into the fun stuff we're over the sad we're over the angry let's Wait, get to fun there's still oh yeah two hours 22 minutes oh my gosh we <laughs> we're still going aren't we i feel so bad for listeners who were like they really went this this long um they weren't joke i mean they saw it when they open the podcast and it ran you know you see the total time it's going to take i mean but... we're, we're supposed to be on break now right <laughs> <laughs> it was a break um all right let's do this so schedule dropped so super exciting the first game uh it's gonna be a home game so we we have Wait, been teasing in, in 
they're doing that in New England? <laughs> yeah. So we've been teasing for a few weeks that, you know, would it be crazy if one of the first few home games was before like game five or game three? What if it was game one? Uh, we had heard early on that this was something that they were trying to get across the line. And we were shocked. We did not think that this was something that they were going to do. And here we are. They have gone and done it. And and I think what's important here, why this is such a big deal is, as every fan of this club who is predominantly living in New England right now knows, uh, most Northeast teams do not start at home. The weather's not great. I'll go out and say that it sucks. It's going to at least be cold, but there's also rain. There's also snow. Uh, it is one of the, you know, probably less than best times of the year to go outside and what's so fascinating to me is, is that they they made a bold statement in stamping their the history book was saying we're going to start our club at home on a cold march saturday and i i did the i did a little research on what i was doing this last saturday and in, in 2023 on march 16th and you know what i was doing uh i don't know i was dancing in the rain down in Newport for the St. Patrick's uh, Day Festival, like oh. the pre the pre festival, and it was it was pouring rain. It poured rain that entire weekend, so I do not want to jinx it. And I'm 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 knocking on wood, but quietly so it doesn't hit on the on the podcast right now. But you know, it, we had a very wet year for Rhode Island. Um, one of the other things that was like a terrible fact to know is I think we had 14 out of 18 uh, weekends of the summer have at least one rainy day, and so you know just kind of highlighting that in March it was worse than most of the months. Uh, it's it's very cognizant, and I think it's also very top uh, top of mind right now for the fans that have been talking about the schedule after it broke, that this is going to be very interesting. The diehards are going to show up, but I don't know how casuals will turn out, even for the first game. You know, it, it's I hope to see everyone, uh, and I'm hoping that it will be amazing weather, but... That is one of the first thoughts. And listen, you you can't write a schedule a year in advance and then predict everything. Like that's, if you had that, you you're wasting that power. You should just go, you know, play a winning lottery ticket. But it is something that is probably going to be one of the things that they have to have like a backup plan to plan around because one of the loudest things that the club continues to tell us is that the most important thing to fans is the experience. The game day experience is the number one concern more than the product on the field and the winning outcomes is that game day experience. So it'll be really curious how that shapes up. I do also think, though, that uh, New Mexico United is going to be in for a rude awakening since they're a Southwest desert team, and they're going to be coming and playing their first game of the year uh, in in that cold that cold weather. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting. I think that the lineup, personally, is a great match to choose for a starting uh, game. One, New Mexico United is a club that, did well last year you know they took the last playoff berth in the west so they're just good enough to be competitive but not good enough to really be a threat um and i i know that you know rosters change every season so i'm not i'm not ignorant of that but uh but then also too new mexico united has one of the most passionate fan bases as a whole um not just their supporter group that we've seen uh in the league over the last few years they're definitely one of the highest in attendance they show up I'll be curious if they want to take the initiative to come out for the first game and travel. That'll be really fascinating to watch. Um, but I'm really excited. This is th- There were other teams that I would have been more afraid of having to play, and New Mexico United really excites me that, that that's going to be our first our first test. And I will say also, too, that we're really excited. We're, we anticipate talking with the podcast group that covers New Mexico United pretty close to the first game 
and we'll have kind of like a cross partnership and and just discuss what we think we can expect uh, in that first matchup. Remember when um, Defiance recently asked us about TIFO ideas? Yeah. So I've got I've got the TIFO here for the first game. Ooh, so raising anchor it's, first. <laughs> so it's Chip dressed up as Morpheus, and in each hand he has a burrito, and it says red or green. <laughs> I love I love how proud you are of yourself right now. Um, okay, outside of the TIFO, what do you how do you feel about this as a as a first round game? Oh, and also too, before you say anything, forgot to say our first game is a week after the league starts. So people may have been like, oh, March 16th, the league actually starts on the 9th. We get a bye for the first round. I'm convinced our first game was originally going to be against RGV and they just like pulled that card for everyone. That's probably not the case because we would technically then have, in the West, we'd have two buys. And I, I'm sure that was part of the schedule finagling why it came out so late. But uh, it's kind of fun to like be conspiracy theorists about it. So anyways, back to New Mexico United. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that should be an exciting first game. I'm looking forward to it. You said they're, you know, they were around the the playoff spot there, but not too high up the position, uh, not too high up the table, I should say. So I think that will, um, I don't want to say give us, it's not an easy matchup or anything, but you know, you don't maybe want to start off against one of the best teams in the league. <laughs> right. Yeah. Phoenix Rising can wait a, f- a few weeks before we have to, we have to go in yeah, and before mix our metal. Get a reality check. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Uh, right after that, we've got our first away game with the uh, Monterey Bay. The Monterey Bay FC Union. Thank you very much. That is, I, I, I thought it was the Monterey Bay Union. It is the Monterey Bay FC Union. That's a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> MBFCU, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that the weather will be great. Um, that's generally what California is known for, a very temperate climate. The team hasn't maybe found their footing yet, but at the same time, uh, there's something really interesting we learned about them from John Morsey is that the majority of their team was re-signed up on, I think it was multi-year deals. That could also be interesting from a perspective of if a lot of that team is sticking together, they might know each other very well. So it could be that they as a team grow and they that could be a very interesting matchup there i think so do you so that's a that's an interesting take i look at it as i mean you're looking at it as they're gelled they know each other so they should be pretty competent i was looking at it as more of a from a tactics perspective coach should be very confident in what he'll be facing because the core of that group i think they've only let go of four players um in their on their roster like, like the least amount so far that's been announced I kind of looked at that as, well, it's a known quantity, so I know how to plan, whereas Monterey Bay is going to have no idea what's he, coming for them. Yeah, there's there's two there's two sides to the coin here. RFC is going to be enigma for a while, right? They can go back and maybe look at some of um, Coach's previous experience and see what happened there, but at the end of the day, you know, he was the, the assistant there. He was not the head coach, so... That might not be a complete view there. So they're not going to have a really good picture. I mean, we don't even really know at this point like exactly what to expect until we see them go out on the field. And even then, you're going to need a bigger sample size to get a real, like, the whole picture. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really fun game, actually. I, 
I'm also curious if uh, the Defiance 36 intends to show up. I know they were trying to understand and plan around if they could, uh, you know, travel to the first away game. California is a great location to go to from a traveling. It's far. It's a lot farther than any of the local Eastern Conference matches. Um, but it's not a bad place to go. And then right after that, of course, is Tampa Bay. So, you know, I'll, I wonder, we, we'll have to connect with, with the Defiance 1636 group and see if they kind of have a an idea of what they'll do for showing up for, for those away games. But speaking of away games, uh, we do have something that we need to make sure we, co- we cover in this schedule, and that's the Derby matches. So uh, really fascinating. I think that was the first thing a lot of people gravitated towards was where, where and when do we play Hartford? And uh, first and foremost, I thought it was really interesting that Hartford gets the first round of the Derby. And I don't know if that's good or bad. So I wanted to ask you, because I, I know how I feel about it's just more making sure you win at home. But I've also never seen the first round of a game where, you know, does, does getting the home field advantage the first time out the door matter? That I don't know. Um, like we, like I had mentioned, us being somewhat of an, an enigma, um, maybe that could uh, go in our favor. But then, you know, maybe when they, if we started to kind of get quote unquote found out and people can start to kind of break down our tactics and maybe try and come up with a way to counter that when they come back to play RFC at home, does that give them a leg up there? I don't know. I I don't don't know what kind of psychological warfare exists. I do know that there is added pressure for defiance to show up as a traveling supporter group more. So not necessarily talking about the on-field product, but, you know, from a fan perspective, I know that there's more pressure to make sure we get that right uh, because it puts it puts Hartford on the back burner if we do it well versus, you know, if they did it first and then we didn't match. So a lot of the initiative has to come from that. And I know that they're working hard on understanding how they're going to schedule charter buses uh, to prepare for that trip. They're already looking at the logistics of it, which, by the way, buses cost a lot, a lot of money. Um so it'll be really, it'll be, it'll, I'm, I'm curious how many fans intend to show up. I mean, it's not that far away. I, I don't know if it's beyond the supporter group too. I don't know if I, we could run out of the allocation of tickets because Hartford say what you want about their performance last year, but their fans still consistently showed up. That is a game they will obviously show up for. So, uh, I wonder, I, man, I wonder if you'll have to be a supporter group member to be even able to attend that game. So for those of you who have been on the fence, now's a good time to go buy a membership to Defiance 1636. Yeah, that'd be, uh, I'd be very curious to find that out if that's going to be a, a tough ticket to get a hold of. I, I, I think it will. And so, so, you know, I, again, I don't know good or bad if it's, if them going first, I just know that when it comes time for when they come back to burn stadium to play, I know it's important that we beat them on our home turf. I think a couple of quick details to talk about are both games are in the summer, which is great because I know people were worried that we'd play them too early or we'd play them too late where maybe that mattered more, uh, you know, from a points perspective or bad from a weather perspective. So that's, that's really ideal. Um, but then I wanted to ask you really quickly, we keep saying the Derby, but I haven't heard any names come up yet for the Derby. I, I did see one of, of like the 95 Classico or something like that. <laughs> Uh, and then one was like the a pizza, um, the a pizza derby. But do you have you thought of any ideas yet? <sighs> nothing, nothing comes to mind. Um, I I think it's important that it is not forced and it's not something that um gets gets put 
put on like by the league or something you know it, it has to come from the fans yeah i think it, it the more organic it is the better I, listen i loved el trafico i everyone hated on it and i was like this is corny it's but it's it's gonna stick and i i think the league i think the the pundits and the the broadcast teams all tried to say it's it's the traffic classico no 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 it's traffico you just gotta deal with it so i hope I really hope that the Derby does become the the most important Derby in the league, and I really hope that when we do get that name, whatever that special thing that comes from the fans, uh, I just hope we're there to witness it. I, I hope we get to be a part of of that history. Um, but I wanna I wanna spoil this because I've been waiting to talk about it because I don't think anyone has realized this yet. So for people who have listened this long in. This is that first moment where they get to hear something that um, a lot of people probably have let kind of fly over their head. With the Open Cup, removing MLS as of now. But even with maybe the revolution being reinstated, one thing that we haven't talked about from the regionalization of the Open Cup is that there's a very good chance that Rhode Island FC and Hartford Athletic play each other well before the June 1st matchup at Hartford Athletic. And I don't think anyone has. Re- I don't know. I don't even know if the club has realized this yet. That there is a very good likelihood. There's a hundred percent likelihood if there is no revolution that we face off in in like round three of the Open Cup. But but there's still I'd say a fifty percent chance if the Revs return that we still play each other before one of us goes off to match up against the Revs. What I don't know is who will get that home field advantage for the open cup because it's decided by the tournament and so we're all talking about preparing mentally for june 1st but the first round of that period is i think like again like the first week of april that game is coming a lot sooner than we all think and i i'm wondering if people are starting to get mentally prepared for that and then also too what does that do again to that psychological battle if the if the other game of the year is played at hartford so if we have to play them twice and we play them both times before they get us what does that do for us? Like, how do we, how do we, I don't know. There's just so many questions to ask there. Yeah. Um, I do think if that were to happen because of the burn stadium situation, I think they would actually probably get another home game. It's possible that they could, you know, have like, maybe this was, I assume, I hope that this was already thought about and maybe there's somewhere in the contract for a possibility of this happening. But what do you, I, wait, what do you mean in the contract with Burn or with the with, U.S. Open Cup with the Burn Stadium? So I, I I completely disagree with you. I think that because we are held hostage as a visitor, as as a guest in a, someone else's home, we don't have the flexibility. And 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 granted, these games are usually midweek, right? But I don't think we have the scheduling rights to make that work. Also, too, remember well, Bryant the, University the, is a is a is a full functioning university. So during the week, that parking lot needs to go to the students, the academia. Well, yeah, yeah, that's sorry, that's made in clear. That's what I mean is that because of that, I think that Hartford would. I think Hartford gets it a hundred percent. Yeah. Also, Dylan, uh, Dylan Stadium, Trinity Health Stadium can fit ten thousand people. So, where where does the Open Cup? You know, it's random, and I'm using air quotes here for those that can't see us. <laughs> it's random, but. You can send them to Hartford, ten thousand. That will get filled up. There, there will, that will create lightning in a bottle, that to the level of like a messy effect. At least for this local part of of the tournament, it can fit ten thousand. I'm telling you now, it's going to be at Hartford, 
And so listeners, fans of this club, have to mentally prepare that we are going to be facing Hartford Athletic in April before the, the league derbies, and we need to be ready for that. Now, hopefully, as the le- as our as Rhode Island FC hears this for the first time uh, tomorrow, they start to think like, "Well, wait a second. If that does happen, we need to take advantage of this and make sure a certain portion of tickets beyond the normal threshold is reserved." Because I think that at least helps make things a little more fair, especially for like open play. So hopefully, because I don't, I don't know the full numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's less than 500 seats are allowed for an away section, because it never gets full. When I went to the El Paso game, there were six El Paso fans, and I was one of them. So, you know, having said that, you know, and and obviously, too, a a home team does not want the other team showing up for their game, right? Like, that's their fortress. But I would hope that at least for the Open Cup, given the circumstances, that like at least a thousand tickets can be opened up for Rhode Island FC fans. Um, But but let's let's just get honest. There's going to be a weekday game in April. I'm calling it now at Hartford Athletic and Rhode Island FC needs to show up. They need to show up and they need to stop thinking that June 1st is their main problem. It's going to be sometime in April. All right, let's do it. Put it on the calendar. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> so speaking of the calendar, so besides the Hartford games, uh, I think there's also some games that we want to make sure we kind of call out that caught our eye. A lot of people have been talking about those important lineups and those matches that matter. Um, did you you want to take a stab at this? Okay, yeah, so some, some other stuff here to look at. Um, uh, let's see. Home series is rough over the first 40 days. We're playing Charleston on uh, April 6th, who were the uh, cup runners up. Then Pittsburgh on 413, the Player Shield winner. Phoenix Rising on 427, the cup winners. Sacramento Republic on 511, another runner up there. And then what we got? Tampa Bay right before this run. So, yeah, so we're basically fighting all the heavy hitters right out the <laughs> gate. Besides the away game to Tampa, it's a string of home games. There's a there's a away to Vegas game in the mix of this, but we're playing every single beefy team from 2023 right at the beginning of the season. So uh, trial by fire <laughs> is that a good thing for a brand new team? Like, do you do you? I, obviously, if you could perfect it, you'd want it stretched and and paced out. But would you rather get all your demons out of the way at the beginning and then chase whatever you whatever gap you created? Or would you rather build, uh, you know, a point bank, if you will, and then if things go south? Because I, I think that's actually what happened to El Paso last year or this season is that when I started watching them, they were third and then they didn't win 12 games <laughs> and like tied three. And it was just like suddenly they found themselves on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Which which way do you want that? Do you want to get do you want to fight those battles at the beginning while you're a brand new team or do you want the time to gel become a become the team you want to be and then face those those challenges at the back half of the season i think just just jump right in just you know you are a masochist (laughs) you know just just do the the dark souls run of soccer (laughs) there's no there's no saves (laughs) there's no there's no uh reboots you have to start over every time I, like I don't know. I I saw this and that was my first thought is this is this is a tough hill to climb, but we will be stronger and better out the top of it. So maybe this is a good thing, but it's going to you're also again trying to win fans over and if they are if we're not seeing wins on the first 5 home games, like I don't know how fickle or how how fair weather some of these fans will be, especially in the colder the colder months coming into it. it it's just a curious it's a curious thing. Now, also, too, there's a caveat, though, right? Like, 
these aren't necessarily the same teams because of the free agency in the USL. Yeah, so to say that, you know, uh, these teams are going to be exactly the same or as good as they were before, you know, we, we can't say that. Um, it's escaping my mind, but wasn't one of the best teams in the year before this year didn't do so hot. I mean, you know, you, you see it a lot more in, 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 in this league because the reality is most of the contracts are like a year at best. Right. Right. What are the games we got? Uh, Indy 11, July 5th. I bet there's going to be fireworks at that show. I would, I would hope so. I mean, we haven't heard about any promotions or anything like that in terms of events, but you, you do fireworks if you're the day after the 4th of July and you're going into a 4th of July weekend, right? Because that's a Friday game. Yeah, I, I think how we saw fireworks here in Rhode Island for most of July. <laughs> <laughs> the entire month is just fireworks month. Yeah, good call. Do you know I actually saw a firework the other day when walking the dogs across the uh, across the bay? I was like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> Maybe it was a gender reveal party. I have no idea. Probably. Um, Birmingham, August 31st, coaches old team. Interestingly, uh, USL released an infographic of the 15, 15 most important games to watch. Most were Derby related with the exception of this game. Some have speculated these games will be the ones aired on the main CBS station. So they, they must've identified kind of an old rivalry there. Yeah, and I mean, so. it makes it's interesting because it makes sense that the Darbies will probably be the most televised. That's where fans are going to show up. That's where we're going to see the the you know the depravity that is soccer at this level. Um, but then that was yeah, that was the other game that just was like, why is this one here? And so either the league knows something or coach intends to put a stamp on that you know he's moved on and and Rhode Island FC is the new hotness. Um, but yeah, it was that. And again, this is just speculation, but it would make sense that these are the games that CBS is putting on their main channel packages while the rest go to the the Golasso and and Paramount Plus uh, deals. And then we got ourselves a fan appreciation game, October 26th, meaning we're probably going to see some giveaways. That's right before Halloween. I don't know if they would... Do you think they would tie those two together? I don't know. The... It's weird that the fan appreciation is the last game. A lot of a lot of teams, a lot of leagues do it that way. Um, I I would say cool. I don't know if it was because it was Miami that they chose it against, since that's the team that will be playing at that one. Um, I'm just more curious, like just beyond the giveaways that they do, you know, for the fans at that experience. Are there going to be giveaways at other games? Because like I remember there's bobbleheads, you get the little like towel the fan Ooh, towel yeah. you wave around. Yeah, I gotta sell your ticket for five hundred dollars because someone wants a bobblehead. Exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, could you imagine a chip bobblehead? Yeah. Yeah, I can see like they probably already were again, just giving them free ideas. You're welcome, marketing <laughs> team. Um we earned our jerseys. Uh but yeah, no, I'll be curious to see what kind of giveaways they do. Uh and the fan appreciation night. Like hopefully it becomes something fun. Uh it it is the weekend though for Halloween, because that would mean Halloween's on a Wednesday, I, I'm not great at math, but it's five days later, and so that's definitely in the weekday. So this is that weekend leading up to it. So if the game's at night, um, we'll see what that does for people that want to just... Oh, maybe it'll be Halloween, like a costume thing. Is that what you meant? We all dress up as our favorite soccer players? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. We've already decided. <laughs> I'm going to dress up as Kano Smith. See if he see if I can coach the team for the night. No one will know. <laughs> Everyone in the stands just dress up as... <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so kind of just moving on, 
that we've ran so long by the way that this is we're now we're, we're now in dangerous territory we're in, we're in the twilight zone <laughs> but um to move into kind of some of the things that people asked us around away games and destinations that we may have in mind uh there were some definite games that kind of called out uh the ones that you know to us i, I didn't really look at it as much as the competition on the from the opposite team i looked at it more as what else could i do in the area i, I like to travel i like to I like to do more than just watch a, a soccer game when I go somewhere. I want it to be a part of my experience, but like I like to like take in the town and, and see if there's other stuff to it too. So, the ones that kind of was you know were on my radar was one Tampa Bay again, great weather, great location. It's a good club. Um, it's one of the oldest ones uh, in the league, and they've they've always had a good production for their for what you get. So I, I've been told that that's one to go to, and then of course you've got Las Vegas on four twenty. So it's Vegas, baby. Like, what else do I have to say about that? And if I if I have to add to it, it's probably a club we're going to dunk on because nobody knows any of the moves that Las Vegas Lights are making right now. So uh, I'll take the W. I'll, I'll get the automatic W and go, you know, bet on some ponies and shoot some craps. And and yeah, I don't mind. And, and honestly, too, if I could see the sphere light up with the RFC celebration, because that's what a lot of clubs have been doing is they... They show up and when they win, they, they put their logo on the on the outside looking in. That's absolutely 100%. Uh, and then you've got Louisville on 622. Uh, Louisville has become the gold standard for you know USL performance when it comes to the investment from the owners into the club. It's apparently a great atmosphere. The pictures I've seen make it look better than a lot of the experiences I see. Uh, and then we threw Detroit on for uh, August 3rd because everyone, including Defiance 1636, the front office, the players, our coaching staff... Um, have all told us it's the premier place to watch supporter group rivalry uh, take shape, that it's a fan-charged experience, and that it's something that just kind of creates electricity. Uh, It's a a smaller stadium, and, you know, I I can't say more than that, but everyone says that Detroit brings it. Uh, And then the final two are um, Orange County Soccer Club on 914. Like Monterey, it's in California, but it's on the other side of the year. So, you know, it, it would let us see kind of, I think it's a more competitive team than Monterey is fielding right now. Um, but the reason it's on my list is you can do other things in California. There's a lot of things to do. Disneyland, I checked, is 21 minutes away from uh, the, the stadium. So if you want to bring family out, you can watch a soccer game for yourself and then take the kids to the you know magic, the magic of Disney. Um, ironically, I was looking at some other stuff that happened that day. It is at the exact same time as El Trafico, at, at least by date. Uh, I don't know if the times are going to be the same. I'm assuming every team will play at 7 p.m. on average because that's what we kind of saw this year. I don't imagine that changing, but that would be a that would be interesting. If I do go to o- the OCSC game and they're separate, I'm absolutely going to go sneak up and watch El Trafico if I can <laughs> as well. Um, and then the final one that was on my radar was San Antonio on September 28th. The reason why is it's my wild card destination this season. I've never been to San Antonio. I've always wanted to go. I hear they have amazing Mexican food there, Jason. So that should be on your radar as well. And then also too, like you said, like even though teams change with free agency, San Antonio has always been a rock steady performer over the last several seasons. They were the 2022 champions. So it should always make for um, for a great game. But then we also did some research too on not just the places we'd like to go, but where we can get there really, relatively easy when it comes to the the new the new partnership and sponsor with Breeze, so what what have we unpacked from there? Yeah, so um, it, it's still up in the air exactly how Breeze will directly support the club and the fans, 
but we've got a few destinations here uh, listed currently supported by the airline. Uh, those being Charleston, Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, Raleigh, and Tampa. So, so yeah, so for those of you that are thinking, like, how can I get to a game besides Hartford this year? Those are the ones that our current, you know, airline from TF Green sponsors and gets to. So Los Angeles gets OCSC and Monterey Bay. Uh, so that's a twofer. And then the rest of them are very transparent and obvious. Um, each of the clubs is only like 20 minutes, with the exception of Los Angeles, is only like 20 minutes from the airport. So if listeners are thinking, well, where should I go? What's affordable? Um, that's the that's the best way to do it right now through Breeze. I'm hoping when we find out the questions that we've sent out to the company that they come back and tell us that there are plans in the work to have fan experience planes for those kinds of moments or to open up special routes to get opportunities to like the places like Tulsa, San Antonio and the other places that, you know, that partnership can help unlock. So it'd be really, really fascinating to learn what Breeze does to to support um, this the sponsorship. And hopefully it's not just the, the name on the front of the, the jersey you're wearing right now. Yeah, and uh, so you've got some other notes here that are interesting. Um, so there's some games here where RFC and uh, the Revs are going to play at the same time. So on April 6th, RFC is playing Charleston while the Revs are playing Charlotte. Um, this is this is a big one here, though. On April 27th, RFC is playing Phoenix, the champions of USL. But the Revs are going to play Inter-Messi. Um, Will he actually play on turf? I don't know. People are going to pay hundreds of dollars to watch Messi sit on a bench until four minutes before the end of the game, walk on and just walk around the field, maybe touch the ball three times when they could be watching Rhode Island FC play the champs. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Let's just go through the rest of this list here real quick, though. 525, RFC plays Louisville, Revs play NYC. On 6-8, RFC played Detroit City. Rez play the Red Bulls. On 10-5, RFC plays Tampa Bay. And Rez play DC. I think the, the messy one is interesting. But the re- those ticket prices, real real people can't actually afford to go to those games. So it will be, well, they decide to go to a bar or sit in a T like, you know, sit at home and watch TV to see the intermessy game because those, those ticket prices are going to be astronomical. Yeah. But if you're sitting at a bar, you can just go watch real soccer in person. Yeah. No, at that point, just go watch RFC play Phoenix. I mean, go watch Rhode Island FC play all of these games. It's just more of a, these are direct comp. Like no one cares about NYC or New York Red Bulls. No one cares about Charlotte or, did Charlotte pick up a coach yet? Because I know everyone was saying Bruce Arena would join either DC United or or um or Charlotte. I don't know if Charlotte's already picked I, up their coach. I think they have. They might have. I I missed that with all the US Open Cup news. Like right. that's that's been taking right. a lot of my time. But like to your point, you know, the only people that really have to make a decision here are season ticket members that are in both camps. And I think they're really lucky that there's only six games out of the 30 plus that they have to figure out which game they're going to go to. Um, so that speaks really well. I don't know if the two offices talk to each other like, hey, we're doing it this day. Hey, you go. You're going to do it this day. Um, but yeah, outside of the inner Miami and the D.C. games, I think it's a no brainer. And even then, I mean, Tampa Bay is was second in the league. I, I want to see Tampa Bay and I do want to see Phoenix. If you had told me 
you know, Miami FC was the conflict and, you know, Miami, inner Miami was there. I may, I may go, you know, try to use media credentialing and go watch the inner Miami game. I might've, but, but my allegiance is to Rhode Island FC. And I, I think a lot of people, like you said, are going to be the same. Um, there are other games that are a ways that, that align against each other. And frankly, if you're going to revolutions games at that moment, because it's the home game of the day, like that's totally fine. You know, a lot of people don't watch away games live in the moment. Some do. Some watch it, you know, an hour or two later. Some watch it the next morning, especially if it's, again, that whole thing like we talked with Memphis where, you know, you're playing Monterey Bay and it's 10 o'clock your time. Maybe you, maybe you just zone out and just watch it the next day while, before anyone breaks the news to you. But what I wanted to say back to the times of games, it's really interesting to me that the schedule for for the USL, all of the games are TBD right now. And I would really like to understand more about what those time frames mean I, it's kind of like an incomplete schedule to share if you don't know what time you'll be playing these matches because to that end, maybe some of these are not even issues, right? And maybe maybe Rhode Island FC has been waiting to see what the Rev schedule is so now they can go, okay, well, on 427, the Revolution are playing Messi at you know 7 p.m. We're going to have our game at 1 o'clock. Suddenly, you can go to both games, right? It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, even if, if how I talked about someone just wants to go watch it, there's no conflict because you can still go to the R go to the RFC game and then go to a bar or back to your house, whatever, and watch the intermessy game, you know? Yeah. It's it's really like a win win. Um so I'll be fascinated to find out. I, I hope that there's some ability to influence that. At the end of the day though, like I said, our loyalties are where our loyalties are. That should be a no brainer. Um but the other thing that came to my mind, having looked at this schedule is in the future for Rhode Island FC and the USL as a whole to be more successful. If the MLS continues down this League's Cup path, independent of the US Open Cup uh, conversation, I think there's a really big opportunity for USL to get tighter with their August lineup. It, it's the same time that they played the games this year. They're playing those times next year in like the like last week of July into the entire month of August, basically. And what's really important about that is for a lot of teams, they get knocked out of League's Cup, but then they don't play. So when you want to talk about creating soccer in those markets that can compete, where it's like, hey, Rhode Island FC to the Revolution. If the Revolution lose in the first round of League's Cup and they're out for four weeks and you have four home games in August, that's that's huge, right? So obviously not every team can have home games at that period of time. But the league should really kind of look at themselves and say, how can we best position this schedule to represent competitive markets or to make sure that exciting games like the derbies and the ones that matter are played in this period of time where there is a soccer drought because only the teams that are advancing are moving on. Because we've already talked about it, predominantly the people that show up to these these League's Cups games are Liga Emekis fans until the Liga Emekis clubs are out. And it's almost like the U.S. Open Cup. Then it doesn't really matter until you get to the final rounds. So if the USL was smart, they would pay me now for this idea as well, and <laughs> and and create a better scheduling pattern uh, when it comes to how they how they attack that next year. Yeah, the, I I find that interesting. I I wonder though, what do you think the percentage of people who, you know, like say your team Columbus Crew gets knocked out of the the cup? And then now there's no games to watch. Are you going to then say, well, there's a USL club that's, you know, 
not too far from me, a state over or whatever, and I'm just going to watch some USL games. I mean, it's different here because we have the, the, the Rev so close to us. But for the rest of the league, not all of them necessarily have a team that's so close to the market. And I wonder how many of them do you think are like soccer sickos like us who are just going to like watch good soccer, like regardless of whether it's a team we maybe have allegiances to or not, just because it is available to us and we want to in- experience that. It's it's a fair point. But at the same time, I'll, I'll counter with, okay, so Columbus gets knocked out. You're now at a bar and your choices are Club Leon versus Atlas and you've never watched a Liga Mackey's game in, in your life, or Indy 11 versus Detroit City FC, or I think their derby is the Louisville matchup. Would you not at least rather watch competitive professional American soccer at that point? Potentially. Um, I mean, you know. But, but, some, maybe, but maybe, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it, it's, it's a conversation to have and, and validate. I'm just simply saying that in the absence of no games, it helps, it helps kind of speak to that. So, um, but we'll, we'll find out more. And then the other just like last point on the schedule uh, in general is I was really impressed that most of the games are, you know, on the Friday through Sunday circuit. There's actually only four games that are on a weekday. And what's really impressive, although now that I think about it more after the comment earlier, there's only one game on a Wednesday at home for Rhode Island FC this season, and that's against El Paso. So watch out, train gang. We are no longer friends. Um, (laughs) But, you know, minus the Open Cup competition, uh, which... Which, I, if we beat Hartford, I, I don't even know how they navigate that with Bryant. But uh, having said that, you know, a lot of these games are going to be on the weekends. So minus that joke I said earlier about all the washout weekends we had this year, that's amazing for this for this team to get out the door is all of these weekend stacked games. Like, it's a great way to connect the fan base and make sure that, you know, it's not schedule issues that limit the ability for fans to come and attend a game. So that's that's super exciting. We're still going here, aren't we? We've got a player announcement. You know, I we were so long in this episode. Plus, also when I was writing these notes, I was like, "Who was the last person we announced?" I had to go back and double check in last week's notes if the last player we announced was the next player, like was the right one to announce next. We got it right, but we are so deep in the. How many people do you think had to pause this five times? I don't know. They only had fifteen minute drives. They're pretty, they're probably still listening to it like two weeks later because they they haven't been able to get through all it's of like it. A marathon we, because we will not stop talking. Never. <laughs> all right let's let's get this let's power through this all right so we picked up frank nodarse he is a 6-3 cuban center back that uh we've signed here from rgv toros first R- raid r.i.p <laughs> sorry guys frank finished the year with 25 starts in 28 usl championship appearances and logged the fourth highest number of minutes played for the toros who finished ninth in the western conference Nodarse is a player capable of launching the ball forward and bypassing the midfield with a overall passing accuracy of 84.5%. That's impressive. And a Look long, ball, long pass though, yeah. Long ball pass accuracy of 54.2. A bit lower, but I mean Long ball pass? Come on, that that's never as it's never as high as your back oh, no, and no, no, forth no. ticky tack pass. Yeah, no, no. I know. But I I I wonder what the average rate of I I wonder if that's actually still pretty good. I don't always look at those percentages too much. Uh, dribble success rate of 60, placing him in the upper echelon of USL defenders in 2023. Um, it's just, you know, highlights usually are obviously highlighting the best per- performances from him. But in what I've seen, he is not afraid to just 
shuffle the ball to the side and just walk past, you know, attackers. So yeah, he, seems, he, he seems pretty comfortable on the ball. His highlight reel was him holding a ball and letting you come to him and then trying to almost take you one-on-one, which you have to be really good as a <laughs> defender to do that. But then he also subscribes to the school of uh, Wilfred Nancy with the Columbus crew of those long balls you were talking about. He can just chuck them. I mean, he just launches. He completely bypasses the midfield, launches them up. But more importantly, he has the ability to hit players on the opposite side. So he, in a lot of his reels, was playing kind of on the left back side of the center back line. Um, But he can play both sides. He's interchangeable in that degree. But he has no difficulty in saying, hey, that right winger, I'm on the left side. Yeah, I'm going to hit him right now from, you know, just completely, completely shift the defensive shape of a team, an opposing team. And I don't think I've seen a lot of defenders in the games I've watched in the USL do that. It, it was just, it was incredible to watch. And then uh, second highest rated player defensively for Toros last year. No, he, no, he was the second highest rated player oh. for the entire team. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, okay. second highest in the entire team. Impressive. He's won 65.2% of his aerial duels. I mean, he's a pretty tall dude, 6'3". In his 90-minute averages of 2.17 interceptions, 1.48 tackles, uh, 5.91 duels rates him among the top center backs in the league so one thing i thought of jj williams dual master him going up are we just going to be lethal on corners into the box oh potentially hopefully we don't uh, beat ourselves up in training (laughs) too you know (laughs) right uh 2023 was nodarse's second season with rgv and third overall season in the usl championship having first played in the league briefly in 2020 one with the Charleston Battery. Before that, he made 13 appearances for Fort Lauderdale CF in the USL League One back in 2020 and 2021. The 23-year-old also has had three appearances with the Cuba Under-20 National Team and the 2018 CONCACAF U-20 Championship. So, two things I wanted to ask. One, I I wanted to be cheeky and be like, how do you think his Cuban nationality works? Because when I was growing up in the sport, you would you would hear stories of players like um, uh, Ozzy Alonso who would abandon the Cuban national team when they would come to play domestically, or not domestically, they'd come and play in American soil. They just would walk out of the hotel one night and, and kind of as, ask for asylum and end up playing in soccer in the MLS or somewhere else. You know, when he, with seeing this stat about him playing with the U national or with the national teams, I'm curious what his relationship to, to Cuba is. Obviously, that political climate has changed over the years. It's not what it was, um, but it's it's still not you know a hundred percent clear what those kinds of things look like today. So I was going to ask like you know silly questions like you know do you think his favorite sandwich is a Cubano sandwich or you know how how much do you think he enjoys smoking cigars? Because that's my limited knowledge. <laughs> I will tell you, I want to go to Cuba more than any other destination on the planet. I, I find a place that's been frozen in time, but still kind of, you know, very much still part of the modern world. I I think it's just a fascinating place. I almost got to go and then we moved the embargoes back on and the restrictions to traveling to Cuba. I, I, I want, I almost just want to interview him and ask him about what it's like in Cuba, whether he can still go or, or he's not a player. Like we didn't do enough research on that with the time we had. Um, but I'm fascinated. So I'm going to learn more about Cuba and I'll, I'll let, I'll let the listeners know about that. But in reality, or did you want to say something about the Cuba part first? I was just going to say, it's like, we need to figure out where the best, where where can we get the best Cubano sandwich here in, 
in Providence. So I saw or I saw Rhode Island. I saw like a empanada type stuffed sandwich. It was a Cubana version. Um a couple of days ago but it was in new hampshire so that can't be a place we send him um <laughs> but having said that the thing i wanted to to say though and i kind of i kind of mentioned it when you had said like the second highest rated player and it was a defender i didn't realize this at the time when the toros were doing super bad and you were in last place in our kind of internal bet on which team would be better i just assumed the team was was garbage i just assumed that they were not doing well and that they struggled to perform similar to hartford athletic but when I went and looked at the Toros record, it was a team plagued by ties. The reason they couldn't advance up the table is they tied more games than they lost or won. And when you looked at what they tied by, it was always like one-to-one games. So what that tells me from a defensive standpoint is that Frank helped contribute to a game, a defensively shaped game where the offense just couldn't win the day. And they suffered from ties as a result of that. So I'm kind of bypassing this idea that, oh, like we're signing... We're signing players from the losing team at Hartford Athletic. We're signing, you know, players from the losing team in the Toros. No, like this is, I I think a lot of teams were probably looking to to take Frank on and and we we won out the day. So I think this is a great, great signing and I'm I'm super excited that he's able to join the team. Yeah, I think it's always important to to not blame defenders on performances of teams because there's only so much they can do. I mean, like what, one of the, one of the best center backs in the world, Virgil van Dyke, used to play for Southampton. And while Southampton used to be um, a pretty good team, I mean, they also used to get dunked on a lot too because they're not one of the top teams in the league. Agreed. Agreed. So we'll we'll find out what happens. Uh, I mean, we still need some players, and that kind of transitions us perfectly into the rumors that we've heard about. So, you know, we have a ton of players, but we still don't have a complete formation. But we do know, after we talked with the club and, and kind of doing some additional investigations, there are still more players on the way. We know of at least, you know, three to five um, that are in active contract finalizations or have already signed. Uh, we've heard that a few of them, or at least one, will be a collegiate player that will be def- uh, joining. And then there, there's supposed to be some some professional reinforcements coming uh, from, you know, the the leagues and see, you know, who will be joining. Obviously, we still have a right back as a piece of need. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if one of the future signings we hear will be a right back because that's the last piece we need to fill out a quote-unquote proper 4-3-3. Um, but those pieces, as Coach had mentioned, uh, you know, the intention is that they show up before we hit that preseason so that we can we can make sure that we hit the ground running on it. So I don't know with the Juan piece now what other major signings we could see, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see some major names still show up. I've been impressed so far with the collegiate and the mixed talent we've already picked up from around the league. So yeah, so that's, that. I mean, we, we can't say names or share anything that we don't know. And even if we did, let's get honest, we'd probably get it wrong. We've gotten a lot of the speculation <laughs> wrong lately. So you ready to wrap things up with, uh, I think we got one listener question and then we can get out here. Yeah, so Chris here wants to know, um, he's saying, so you covered Sporting Jacks on the last pod, but isn't that where the Armada are? Is there a reason they joined MLS Next Pro and not USL? So I was not familiar with them, and I just looked this up real quick. So they Jackson, have an, they have an anchor logo. How dare they? That's why they're that's why they're not in the USL, Chris. So Jackson, them. Jacksonville Armada FC um, is a MLS Next Pro, but let's see, they used to be in the Nassau. 
Yeah, so I, they, I know a little okay, bit about so this. Okay, so they fold it. Okay. So they, they went on a hiatus of sorts because of, of Nassau. And similar to the Cosmos, there's just a little bit of bad blood between certain certain teams within the leagues that were like, we would never join you. Or like, I'd rather die before I became a USL team. And, and the Armada are one of those teams that could not get to an agreement with the USL over what would happen next with the organization. Other teams like Tampa Bay, they came running to the USL because they wanted to stay in new existence and the Armada thought there'd be another way, another path. And that didn't really manifest for them. So I think, like I said, they're, they're similar to the, 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 the cosmos, by the way, their problem is with the MLS. I think they would join the USL in a heartbeat, but they, they have to get through the issue of what with Nassau folding and the, the problems they've had because MLS quote unquote caused that issue, that that's the reason they don't exist right now, let alone participate in the USL. The Armada is, is something similar to where they didn't want to participate in the USL, and so they looked at MLS Next Pro as their next conduit. Now, what I don't know is if Armada realized that by doing that, they unlocked Division Two sanctioning for USL to go, fine, you don't want to be a part of our party, then we're going to just create a new team. So in essence, USL are the equivalent of the MLS bad guys here from, say, like San Diego with the Loyal versus SDFC. We're going in and creating a Division Two team while the Armada become a Division Three team. I don't know if they knew that they were that was going to happen as a result of this, but it just goes to remind me, because you said earlier, like MLS is in to make money. The USL is no different in certain capacities, right? Like they're there to make money. They're there to, to earn soccer markets that they can earn. And at the end of the day, it, sometimes it does come down to a business transaction. So yes, there are two US, or sorry, there are two Jacksonville teams, Sporting Jacks and the Jacksonville Armada, but the Armada play for Division Three, so it, it could be an exciting uh, Open Cup game if if Division Three ever gets their act together with being allowed to participate at that lower tier again, which we don't know now with the whole state of the state. This this really boggles my mind here a little bit, and maybe you can help me understand this because um, you are are more of a baseball fan than I am. So MLS Next Pro, I've looked at the league the tables and it's a bunch of teams that are already in MLS with a two on it. So it is in theory, it is your, it's, and I understand it from a, a development standpoint, but from a fan perspective, do revs fans care about the revs too? Like maybe if you're diehards do the diehards, but so those teams were kicked out of the USL because they were like, not that the, their they, purpose they weren't, they weren't kicked out they mls recalled them because they had contributed to the success of the usl growing at a point that i think they realized they were putting a direct target on their back they wanted out because they couldn't control the initiative now those teams had bad attendance and were not helping the usl grow but it did create stability within the league at a time that they needed it because those reserve teams were never going to fold having said that it is the problem with understanding the sport of soccer in America because, and and we've heard this all the time, is we continue to be told by people looking to understand soccer as a division two, oh, you guys are minor league soccer. And that's not how it works in this in this pyramid. And the and the problem is because we're not a feeder team. We're not built to to put together a starting eleven that will then be at any moment have one of its players called up to the quote unquote big leagues. We are the big leagues just in a different capacity. So to your point about how do people get excited about it? They don't, they don't because the team that they see start at the beginning of the year 
is not going to be the team that they see by the end. And that's not because of injuries or something that a normal senior team faces. It's because they literally are built and designed to move talent up the pipeline or down the pipeline simply based on the performance that they see more more so in practice than they do in the big games. And so when you have a system like that, how people get attached or excited about it, I don't know. And the other problem too is, is that where minor leagues in baseball work better is they go to secondary and tertiary markets to build the brand. So like the Paw Talk at Paw Sox, it wasn't in Boston, right? You've got the the Yard Goats in Hartford. You've got the Sea Dogs in Portland. You've got um, you've got all these unique teams that have these characters and like these stories and narratives for these local smaller markets. That's not how the twos work. The twos play in the same stadiums and the same locations as their main affiliate. So um, most of the time, now where MLS is trying to diversify is in these independent teams to grow the sport to to untether into those other areas to grow soccer. But if your team isn't really playing for anything other than the ability to move someone into the quote unquote big dog, I just don't know how you get excited about that. Yeah, at, at that point, it, it just seems like, what's the point of it? So when you look at a team like this, the Armada, like sure, maybe they will be affiliated with a MLS team. I, I don't know. I don't really, honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> but it it's, the, the they are the Yamada, right? They could have their own identity the same way you say, sure, the the Paw Sox are related to the Red Sox, but they are the Paw Sox in that they play in a different area. Played. Played in a different <laughs> area. So you can kind of, they can kind of develop their own kind of their fans and identity and whatnot. But like the Colorado, the Colorado Rapids too. Like, who cares about that? Listen, just... listen. The Armada and other teams that are in this era of MLS NP are doing this because it's safe. It's a safe bet because they get structure and they get security that by attaching as an affiliate that helps the talent pipeline come through to the 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 major league team that they're attached to. They don't ever have to risk ceasing soccer operations. Do you think it's this is literally just the MLS trying to? muddy the water and saturate markets so that they're kind of trying to take away from the usl yeah i think i think they're depriving certain areas of building fandom in the usl i mean look at north carolina north carolina is another great example of there's arguments about like where the two play so it's the the soccer wars are here it it is a thing in fact that's what i'm I'm naming this podcast (sighs) the soccer soccer wars Wars. um it's, it's just a very real thing and we will continue to see that be a problem until the USSF stabilizes the pyramid or MLS buys USL and they control the entire narrative. So that that's the reality. Uh, do I, do I agree with it? No, it hurts the fans and it hurts the soccer growth in this community. But, but what else do we have? If we, if we don't at least have what exists now, we we won't have soccer except for us men's national games played a couple times a year. So it's just what we're stuck with, with the time being. So Chris, great question. Uh, we'll find out more about the spiciness of, you know, when Sporting Jacks comes in. Cause I think, I don't, did you see a date? It's not 2025. Is it 2026? I don't remember. 20, the Armada just is 2025. I just looked that up. Oh, could Sporting. you imagine if the Jack, the, oh, you know what? The Jacks probably have to open at the same time then. Cause probably. you're fighting for the spirit of that city. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. All right. We, I think I, I honestly think we're at 222 because minus the pre-recording, I think we, I think we're perfectly hitting it. So, listeners again here's a here's a here's a holiday treat you know we 
we weren't even supposed to do this and we just did the longest podcast we've ever done so i if you don't think we don't care about you i don't know what else to tell you <laughs> happy holidays guys merry christmas happy new year you know we really appreciate you guys Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Yeah. Even if it's two hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> all of our all of our rants, all of our lunacy. Uh, enjoy. We truly are taking time off. I am not doing this. You basically got two episodes for the price of one. Uh, we do have a couple of interviews lined up. We've, ser- we've shared one, but there is a fun surprise coming for the one uh, into the new year. So enjoy it. And we will catch up with you guys uh, in January. So... Please, for the last time in 2023, Jason, take us home. Let's wrap it up, boys. Uh, We've got Twitter, Threads, TikTok at RFC Podcast. We are on the Instagram at Raising Anchor. And there is a website, www.raisinganchorpodcast.com. See you guys next year. Next year, Anchor's up. Let's go. Anchor's up.